0: Which one of you Motor City motherfuckers wants to do a podcast? Fire
1: it up! Fire it up! Fire it up! Woo! (laughs) I think I just actually scared the shit out of the cat. (laughs) Maybe literally. I don't know. I gotta go check it out. (laughs) Hi, everybody. We'd love to get your feedback. You can post a review wherever you found this podcast, find us on Twitter at RealDMC, or send us a message at feedback at realdmc.com. If you send us some feedback, we may include it in our listener feedback section, and you'll hear it on the show. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. What's going on, guys? How you doing?
2: Great. Indeed. How are you?
0: Did you uh, come back from the dead recently? My a chance? No. I, I
2: hope to stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's that's morbid. <laughs> well, it's like a pet cemetery situation, right? Just all die once. That's fine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic
1: things I have ever heard.
2: Listener feedback.
0: Today's feedback comes from Andy, and he's talking about our recent Edward Scissorhands pod. And he said, great listening. I agree with Dave that this movie is like nails on a chalkboard for me. I have no idea why Marcus liked it. Colin seemed only moderately amused by it, while Dave tried real hard to single out its redeeming qualities. And Colin, get out of the echo chamber. (laughs) Andy,
3: my sincere apologies. I screwed up my audio. I'm so sorry. I apologize to all of our listeners. It will not happen again.
2: It might happen again.
3: (laughs) It might. (laughs) I checked before it. This recording, so we're good to go.
2: Check, check, one, two. I've got
1: some unfinished business in Missouri. Unfinished business.
3: Dave, I just wanted to mention, or at least let our listeners know that we had a very long discussion about your letter grade for Edward Scissorhands. Yes. Because you gave it a B, and to me... You, it, you seem to clearly not like that movie, right? And then we had probably twelve hours of arguments <laughs> over the over the next <laughs> three or four days. You seem to hate that movie with a passion, and yet yes. you you still defended giving it a B. And I really don't understand that. We don't have to go through that anymore, but I don't know if any listeners would like to uh, to chime in at some point. I just don't get it, Dave. I mean, do you have a short comment?
0: I was trying to give it a grade based on the objective view of what I think this film is, right? I think, I think it had good production design, interesting characters, and all that kind of stuff. For me, personally, it doesn't work. So my personal grade is an F, right? That's my grade. But if I look at the film, it's a B. I'm just trying to be objective.
2: I still don't understand it. Don't be objective. This is a podcast. I know. This is a podcast. All right, fine. You know what? I changed Watch my grade. Opinion. It's a
0: fucking F. You feel better? <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, I do. I do. God. God. Okay, there you go
2: i have updated my gradings wherever I have those posted. We should track those. We're hoping a intrepid listener is following along and has a, a detailed spreadsheet of all our uh, our trades and grades. I said trades. We don't do many trades. I'll <laughs> we'll trade two collins for three days. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Damn it. I'm like only worth like what is what is that what is the
0: percentage I'm worth on a call on then? Sorry. <laughs> One and a half collins.
1: I got an idea for a movie Today's film
0: The film we're here to talk about today Is actually Alex Proyas's first feature film Starring Brandon Lee 1994's The Crow
1: People once believed That when someone dies A crow carries their soul To the land of the dead But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right.
0: You're all going to die.
3: Is that gasoline I (laughs) smell?
1: Victims, aren't we all?
0: So by way of general introduction, so this film maintains a 7.6 rating on the IMDb. Marcus Edward Scissorhands does maintain a 7.9 by comparison, just uh, to let you know. The film was made for a budget of $23 million. I actually saw both 23 and $15 million listed, so I was kind of wondering if maybe the $23 million was a result of some of the work they had to do in terms of the reshoots and all that sort of stuff.
3: As a matter of fact, yes. Yes, because okay. They, uh, they, they spent $8 million to do reshoots and rewrites and add in some
2: special effects as a result of what we'll talk about
3: later. So, yeah,
2: I read a snide comment from the anonymous crew saying they were trying to make a $30 million movie on an $18 million budget.
0: Uh, apparently, lots of cocaine usage on the set. That was something <laughs> yeah. that was widely reported from a couple different articles that I read.
2: It shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so the film was a financial success. So it made $51 million at the U.S. box office and it went on to make $93 million globally. Obviously, this movie is most well known for resulting in the accidental death of Brandon Lee, who died at the age of 28 in this movie by receiving basically what was an unintended bullet shot. And Michael Massey was the guy who was holding the gun. And we're not going to go deep into that. There are tons of articles where you can go really deep on the sequence of events and what did this lead to in terms of changes from a safety standpoint in the industry. By the way, this also became a very active topic, again, because of what happened with the uh, Alec Baldwin film Rust. I saw lots of references to The Crow and gun safety and, you know, were they doing the right thing? So it's definitely something that popped it back into the news.
2: The film trying to save budget, they moved to the shooting was done in North Carolina, which had less restrictions, less regulations. They didn't have to use union. So I think that led to some of the, uh, the lax the crew being all coked up and uh, <laughs> that'll do it and lacks uh, just regulations and kind of safety i'm glad
3: that we're not going to cover this in too much detail because I, I wrote out a lot of detail about it but <laughs> <laughs> i will just say maybe the the number one thing that you shouldn't do in terms of trying to prevent these types of accidents on the set is um don't send your firearms specialist home early before doing a scene with a gun
0: Well, and apparently the other part of it was they changed the scene at the last minute. So Alex Proyas had Michael Massey point the gun when he wasn't originally supposed to do it uh, as it was blocked. So that was something else that I saw that was referenced in several articles.
3: I don't think that really matters too much. The fact is that they had a gun. They used dummy cartridges and then blanks. The dummy cartridge looks like a bullet, but it has no charge in it. Mm -hmm. To save money on the set, they actually made their own. So they didn't buy commercial dummy bullets or dummy cartridges. They just made their own. And what ended up happening was that the gun had a, one of their homemade dummy cartridges in it. So that if you're pointing a revolver at the camera, you could it looks like there's a bullet in there. Mm. And apparently when they had taken those out, one of the bullets got stuck in the barrel. Right. They, then they put blank charges in there. And that's what they used to actually fire the gun. Problem was, there was that bullet that was lodged in the barrel, and that becomes effectively like a real, a real bullet, bullet because, yeah. because the blank has a full charge in it. Yeah, They gave it over to like a prop assistant, who didn't know the rules. You know, he was supposed to like check over the gun, and every time that the gun was handled, you have to check it over. And that's this is why it happened. And so, you know, now this is why you have got gun regulations.
0: The reason why I mentioned the Michael Massey thing is because he had a real problem with this, obviously, the fact that he was not originally going to be doing this in the scene and then that was the direction that they took it, he ended up being the one that was actually fired the gun. You can see multiple interviews and articles with him online about how devastating this one was for him. He took a year off acting, you know he had nightmares all the way up until his death in 2016, and apparently he never actually watched the finished film because he couldn't take the idea of watching it. so it's pretty impactful.
3: Oh, yeah, it's a tragedy, yeah, but it's also well something that I think lended a lot of notoriety to the film. Yeah, it did. And I
2: think added to its ultimate success. Yeah, especially for the genre that it is. It's a dark film about death and about coming back. It probably did end up helping it. Not necessarily a good thing, obviously.
0: Well, there's that, and there's there's the fact that the source material that was written by James O'Barr, so the original comic book, is actually based on two real incidents as well. So his fiance was killed by a drunk driver, and then there was another case that he was looking at where... A couple was killed for their $30 engagement ring, and both of them were killed. Lots of, you know, darkness and
2: death circling this film, I guess, would be one way to think about it. Hopefully you guys also saw the studio's first <laughs> goal, their first idea for this material. Did you see that? No. A Michael Jackson musical, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> when he first pitched this story, the studio's like, okay, this sounds great for a Michael Jackson music video.
0: Oh my God.
2: And, and James O'Brien apparently thought <laughs> they were joking
0: and started yeah. laughing, and then and then he realized they were serious. A On a scale from one to ten, I'd say this film is constantly at a thirty seven all the way through it. There's lots of you know it's aggressively stylish. This movie's grabbing you by the lapels, yelling in your face, I am stylish which a lot of that is fun. Some of it is maybe slightly overdone. I think the the overall aesthetic that's created is actually very interesting, but it's also it's constantly there in every single scene you see. And like I don't think he needs a guitar, I'll just say that, but we can we can tackle <laughs> that later. This is uh, my pick. So, you know, why did I ultimately pick this movie? Truthfully, the main reason why we got here was because the shot in the beginning of The Matrix with Trinity running across the rooftops, because when I watched that after not having watched The Matrix for like 20 years, I'm like, oh, this looks so familiar to me. And it's reminded me very much of Brandon Lee running across the rooftops in this film. And apparently the set that they used for The Matrix was actually also used in Dark City, which was Alex Price's second film. So I was like, oh, let's go back and take a look at it. And the other thing was, I was just kind of curious... You know, I realize I have avoided watching this movie over the past 20 years, and I was kind of curious. I'm like, oh, why is it falling off my radar? I'm like, oh, let's give it another shot. Will it hold up? It was definitely an interesting viewing experience for me, and I'll get into that in a minute. When's the last time you guys saw this movie?
2: I haven't seen it in quite a long (laughs) time. It's probably been easily 20 years. I remember enjoying it. I remember listening to the soundtrack a lot more. Probably watched it only a few times early on. I liked it. I didn't love it. I never thought it was like a top movie for me. I know it was one of your favorites for a while. Been a while since I watched it. Go on. The last time I watched
3: it was in December twenty twenty. Because I don't know, you had said something and I was like, oh, I think I'll watch The Crow. I know I didn't enjoy the movie the first time around, but well, it's twenty years later. <laughs> no, it's more. It's like twenty five years later. So let's 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 watch it again. And I liked it a little bit more than I had expected I would like it. But on the third viewing, which was yesterday it was a struggle.
2: <laughs> I remember it being a lot cooler than it played. And it really felt like an eighties action movie, like commando, just a dialogue and the characters kind of mashed up with like a cool modern rock video or something. It just did not. The style was very cool. The action was okay. But then just the characters and the dialogue, a very, very shallow movie at that level. Didn't work. So
3: can I just, can we cut to the chase here? Marcus, did you like
2: the movie? It's, Okay. okay. I didn't hate it. didn't come away saying, go, oh, that was awesome. Like, okay. I don't think it held up to my previous experience.
3: Okay. I personally, I didn't really like it all that much the first time. It was okay. I had the same experience this time around. Dave, I know you liked it when it came out.
0: I had the weirdest experience watching this movie, so I'll get into that in a second. But in general, what I'd say at a high level is I think the things I liked about the movie originally, I probably like maybe almost a little bit more. And the things that Bugged me about this movie when I first saw it. The flaws are actually more glaring this time around. So, so for me, it's an interesting, weird combination. Which is like overall, I would say I really like this movie, but there's a lot of stuff in terms of the dialogue and some of the character motivations. And somebody teach Ernie Hudson how to smoke a cigarette because <laughs> <laughs> I was I, th- I saw that too. Is he a non-smoker that they asked him to smoke during this movie? Because he holds a cigarette three or four different ways in, throughout this movie. So I'm wondering, was he getting smoking training. There are some things that pop out that took me out of this movie. That being said, do you want want the full story about what happened when I put this thing on? Because it could be kind of a long one. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go for it. Yeah, let's do it. Just unpack it. I had an unexpectedly, I'll call it an emotional response to this movie when I started watching it. Popped it in last night. Again, hadn't watched it in over 20 years. Room totally dark and all that. So it was a a good aesthetic. And then this movie is creating some sort of like emotional response in me and i'm not sure exactly what type of emotional response either it's just like i'm just i'm having some weird feeling and it's not something that i really had experienced re-watching a movie in a long time and i actually paused it 10 minutes into it And i'm like i gotta wrap my head around this like why am i actually having this experience you're getting, like mad nostalgia <laughs> it was like a double-barreled blast of nostalgia and i'm sitting there i'm thinking like why what is my association with this movie that's causing this I unpacked it for a couple minutes there and I'm like, oh, okay, I got it, right? And then I was able to just kind of move into it and watch the movie without a whole bunch of emotional response after that. And then I laid in bed last night and I was thinking about it and I unpacked it a little bit more. I'll give you the brief high level on this. I, I, could, go, I could go kind of deep. <laughs> oh, shit, I don't even know how far back to go on this one, right? So I uh, actually, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the full story and I'll cut this shit out, okay?
2: 10 years before the movie was made or something. It's <laughs> gonna
0: be a long one. <laughs> cut to my 18th birthday. So that's the day that actually Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was released. And so we wanted to go see that in the theaters. All the tickets were sold out, but we heard on the radio that KWSS was advertising, if you went up to the KWSS van and yelled at them that Indiana Jones loves KWSS, you'll get tickets. We pushed our way forward and we yelled it and we got tickets. So we got to go. So that was a cool 18th birthday. And it also established this idea of a movie on my birthday. So that was a tradition that has then moved forward. Jump ahead to my 23rd birthday, which is when I actually saw this movie. Marcus was either working or he was going to school. I'm not sure which, but we were going to have a get together later that afternoon. And I'm like, "Eh." I'm like, I'll just go see this, you know, a movie by myself, which really up until that point, that's not something that I had done all that often. I hadn't really just gone by myself to go see a movie. The heat of Sacramento, like walking in into this cold theater. I think there were two other people in there because it had been two weeks after release. And I was pretty taken with the movie. I was kind of, you know, blown away, I guess, just in terms of, you know, the style and all that kind of stuff. And then I came back, Marcus was there, and then Jessamy came over, and we ended up having like a really fun evening because we had a gathering, it was like a birthday celebration and all that kind of stuff. So this movie has a super positive association with my birthday movie tradition and my 23rd birthday specifically. That's the start of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the start? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From there, got the soundtrack, listened to it a lot. I like the movie. I, this is not a movie that I would have said, this is like my top 10 greatest movie. Th- th- this movie never got there for me, but there was a weird perception that maybe it did. Did you ever go
2: as Brandon Lee for Halloween? No, I never dressed up as the no. crow for Halloween. Maybe he just had his hair for a while.
3: I know you, you did have the hair.
2: I had the hair. Yeah, well, can't pull it off
0: anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so then I move in with Jessamy in Point Richmond, right? So this is, you know, moving in with my girlfriend, you know, now wife. And while I'm there, and I'm pretty sure, I'm 90% sure that it's you guys and not my parents. I wish I still had the poster to actually figure this out. But somebody got me a framed Crow poster. And at the time, I was like, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. It's a cool looking poster. But I didn't have any other movie poster art up on my wall. And if I was going to do one, I would have not necessarily chosen the Crow. (laughs) But you guys gave it to me, so I felt somewhat compelled to put it up.
3: I'm now gonna say it was it was your mom. It was
0: definitely not me. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I so I hung it on my wall, like right next to, you know, where I had my first desk that was set up, right? So my first desk where I was kind of living on my own or out with my girlfriend at the time. It's a very significant moment in my life in terms of I got the job at LucasArts, so I always wanted to be, you know, do something in the entertainment industry. So that was pretty awesome. You know, our apartment was great. Very much in love. It's just a very exciting like period of time in my life and all the time this crow poster is sitting right next to my desk right so i'm seeing it every single day and then the sequel comes out crow city of angels and and jessamie had never seen the original but she knows that we have this crow poster that's hanging in the back part of our apartment right (laughs) and so i'm like hey let's let's go see it so i take her over to berkeley to see the movie and the movie's absolutely terrible right it's just (laughs) god-awful and i'm sitting there and i'm watching this movie and i'm embarrassed like i'm embarrassed that i took my girlfriend (laughs) out to see this movie (laughs) And so we're driving home. You know, we leave, and I, I start apologizing. I'm like, "That's not the same as the original." You know, it's, it's, this, the original is a much better movie. And I'm actually having this thought in my head: "Oh my god, she's going to dump me, right?" Because she's like, I "Was like, like what? if this is the dipshit, if this is the type of movies this dipshit likes, right?" It's like, why would I want to spend my, the rest of my life with this guy? What all that leads to is me a little bit later, like a couple weeks later. I'm sitting there, and it's, it has nothing to do with that movie specifically because this was already on my mind, but. I actually wanna spend the rest of my life with this woman and I decide I'm gonna ask her to marry me. And as I'm sitting there at my desk and I have that thought and I have that decision, what am I staring at? The fucking crow poster. <laughs> so all of that basically got wrapped into my viewing on this and that's basically like all those feelings and all that sort of association with being young, 20, in love, starting you know my life, having the job at Lucas, and specifically that image of that poster on the wall of my apartment is actually what informed my opinion, and when I was watching the movie last night, and it just it, it just really tripped me out because I've never had a response like that, an emotional response like that, when I'm watching a movie, especially for something that totally caught me off guard.
3: All I can say is I am so glad that I did not have a poster of Natural Born Killers above my desk. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: I think I might have, but
0: <laughs> the same association. So my take on this movie is it's kind of a I guess a bifurcated approach. I did like the movie early on. Then there's the fact that I actually then rewatched it last night. And again, overall, I still really like the movie, but there there's plenty of stuff for us to talk about in terms of the flaws and that kind of thing. It's fascinating. It was such a weird experience. It was, And you know what? It was actually kind of energizing and interesting and confusing at the time. And I'll never have it again at this point, right? Because it's one of those things where it had been like 20 to 23 years since I actually watched this movie. It purposefully, I realized, because I thought about watching it a couple of times. I'm like, eh, because I think maybe I've, ultimately kind of move past this movie. So I associate it with the time in my life, and that's why all that, uh, I think that's why I got the response I did. I, yeah.
3: You know, I completely understand your reaction to this movie. I mean, I, I sort of feel like Reality Bites is a little bit of that way for me. It was the same era for a lot of the same reasons, just not as much as you with this movie, but I totally understand that, and I can, ar- yeah. I can appreciate that.
2: What's funny, it's another great soundtrack. There's just a really great article in New York Times yeah, about uh, nostalgia and, mu- and music, how powerful it is. So it definitely does like connect it. And so Reality Bites has that same sort of nostalgic music.
3: Oh, absolutely. It's tugging but at your, yeah. Pulp Fiction is another one. But uh, of course, I still absolutely love that
0: movie. <laughs> yeah, but you still listen to the soundtrack? No, yeah, it got overplayed.
3: Not as often. I listen to that soundtrack like over and over and over again. If I put it on, I would, I'd love it.
2: Yeah, it's great. Like I don't listen to the Crow soundtrack or even like Natural Born Killers. I really like that soundtrack, but I yeah. don't listen to those anymore. But as soon as I hear it, I'm like, oh, that totally takes you right back to it. It totally like takes the, you right the back. Cure song, you're just yeah. like, right there, like with it.
0: The funny thing for me is that a lot of those songs, if I hear them on, say, a random Spotify list that I have, then they pop up. Particularly the the Stone Temple Pilot song, Big Empty. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll end up skipping it. Actually,
2: I'm like, eh, I can just move ahead yeah. on this one. We played it so much back then, too. Like, right. that's the same thing with, like, so much of it. Paul Westerberg. Is that the guy from Reality Bites? I can't hear any songs anymore. No, I, I think you're talking about singles. What's that? Singles? The single soundtrack? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah.
0: singles.
3: I'm stuck in the 90s, so I, uh, I love all those <laughs> songs. I just,
0: I love them. The ultimate takeaway for me was I had no idea that this movie had sort of the mapping into my life that it did until I rewatched it. And so it just totally caught me off guard. But again, because it's not a movie i watched for 22, 23 years.
3: Well, then let me ask you this question. Yeah. So the movie has a 7.6 rating on IMDb. My question is, is this the most overrated film on IMDb? Well, you guys might say nat- Natural Born Killers. Well, well no, no. This, this movie, to me, I just
2: don't understand how this is a 7.6. It's just way too high. Well, I think it makes sense. So the... The 1989 Batman is a 7.5. Okay, now I understand. <laughs> I think it suffers from like the 80s action movies with the bad characters, the bad dialogue. You can almost tell it comes from a comic book just because the characters and the lines and the quotes and dialogue, all of that just... It kind of works for a comic. Could be just looking at it as a flat comic, going surface level, but it does not work in a movie at all. Yeah. The weird I, quoting of poetry and the all of it, really cliche and bad.
3: I do understand why this could be a 7.6 because this movie does have a cult following i mean it was a sleeper hit it made you know 94 million dollars worldwide and i think maybe a lot of those high ratings are either from people who saw it when it came out in the 90s and just still love it i don't really understand would anyone from the current generation be a big fan of this movie if they're goth i could understand him maybe ironically yeah, ironically, maybe, maybe they're, maybe, but give it a 7.6. I don't know. I don't think it's age well,
2: ultimately. Yeah. I think that's the problem. I think it was really good at the time. I think movies have been done so much better since then. So we're judging movies. These, this movie, based on current times versus it was good in its day, right? Just like the Batman, 1989 Batman well... was good in its day. But now looking back, you're like, whew, that's rough. I mean, yeah, of that direct comparison, though, I think Batman has
0: aged much more poorly than this movie, honestly. I,
3: I don't know. I, I think it's they're about the same. But point of comparison, so Alex Proyas followed up this movie with 1998's Dark City. And then a year later is The Matrix in 1999. And The Matrix has a lot
2: of the same stylistic. You think the Wachowskis watched the boardroom scene?
3: <laughs> I think the Wachowskis watched Dark City and got inspired a bit, and
0: so did the makeup artist for the Dark Knight. By the way,
3: yeah, I think stylistically, yeah, they're they're similar. But the Matrix, we just did this podcast on the Matrix, and it's totally held up. I don't think this movie's held up at all. The the crowd is just I think there's an way. era,
2: there's a change from like the the nineties to this one harkens back more to the eighties because I think it's on a lower budget and just couldn't be done well enough. Movies from this point forward tend to be all much better because
3: mm. i could see where this movie may have started a stylistic trend now this is 1994 and then culminated in 99's the matrix so i appreciate this movie for its stylism so some of the negative reviews of this movie were generally the same it had okay special effects superficial plot badly written screenplay one-dimensional characters and i agree with all of that really the only thing people appreciated was that it was uh, artistic in its style. And I think that the set design is, is really well done. But I don't really like much else. I mean, Brandon Lee, I think, is a pretty good performance, but it's nothing nothing big. And I don't really particularly like the character, the crow, and the, the makeup. I mean, to me, it
2: looks sort of like a demented mime. But I just don't connect to this movie at all. Every review I read just really loved David Patrick Kelly. They thought his name should have been Luther in the movie, but... <laughs>
3: <laughs> Michael Patrick Kelly is the <laughs> one of the best parts of this movie.
0: David Patrick Kelly. <laughs> what was I say? What, what podcast was that in where you kept going, Michael Patrick
2: Kelly? Which one was that one? I don't know.
3: He's solid. Fire it up! Fire it up!
2: It <laughs> was in Dreamscape. Old Lady Died. Everybody Dies. No, no. It was a movie we did. He was like a creepy guy in the background and everyone. Oh, he expected uh, he's in oh, Ford, Ford Fairlane. Ford Fairlane. Fairlane. Yeah, he's, yeah, 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 that's it. That's yeah. it. He wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: There you go. All right. Okay. Solved. (laughs) Solved. I will maintain that I have an overall positive opinion of this movie. I'll say I like this movie. And I do actually sincerely appreciate the end result of this movie based on the conditions it was actually filmed under. I think that they did a really impressive job of pulling this together because after Brandon Lee died, they waited six weeks. Paramount apparently dropped it. They were just going to effectively write it off. And then Miramax ended up picking it up and finishing off the distribution. Considering what they did and some of the effects, the body doubles and some of the digital effects, I think it's super impressive. I really do. I mean, I think it's I think it's a, a very impressive piece of filmmaking.
3: I agree because it's a movie where you tell me that the star died during filming. Right. You would never know it. So they did a really yeah. great job, you know, and they like you said, they did it with the rewrites and CGI and stunt doubles and all of that. And you can't tell. You just can't yeah. tell. I've seen it now three times. I've never seen anywhere. I was like, Oh, wait. Oh, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, it was very impressively done. But I do wonder about this movie because it was backed by Paramount in the beginning, but it was slated for direct-to-video. I honestly believe that if Brandon Lee hadn't been tragically killed during filming, I'm not sure this movie would have been as big of a hit as it was. It might have still been a direct-to-video movie. Maybe they would have said, oh, you know, this is something a little different. And they would have released it to theaters, but certainly not the big release that it ended up getting.
0: I think this is total theatrical quality. Yeah, I don't think it comes anywhere close to the DTV stuff.
3: Okay, but, but I'm just saying that they were—that's what they were going to do with it. And if you look at Brandon Lee's filmography before this, it was all direct-to-video.
0: I think Showdown in Little Tokyo was released theatrically.
2: In what two theaters?
0: <laughs> I wasn't responsible for the
3: distribution back I mean, in the day, no, no, so no, I can't but you know the- But you know what I'm
2: saying. It was not. <laughs> He was not a big star. No. I think everyone expected more out of him, too, because of his dad.
0: Well, I think his performance in this movie is, for the most part, really good. I think that there are, I'll call them like emo moments or dialogue that don't work well. And I think it's just the material. But I think the moments where he's actually threatening and menacing guys, I think he does really well with it.
3: Hmm. I think it's a little bit of a weird performance, but I don't blame him, really. I just think that that's maybe what the character was. I'm expecting very dark and brooding character and he's not that way he's sometimes he is but a lot of times he's not and maybe that's just the character right i don't
2: know i expected a little darker and he's not consistent throughout he'll be whimsical times he'll be dark he'll like switch quickly like it seemed very uh I don't know, not random but
0: all over the place a bit he's also struggling with being resurrected and dealing with what exactly is going on himself yeah, he struggles with when he comes out of the grave. So that part of it is understandable because I'd imagine that if you are resurrected, you might find yourself a little bit confused, perhaps having some emotional swings. I don't know, ask, Somebody ask Jesus. Do you mind if we just quickly go over some
3: of the sequels? So I heard there's some sequels to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: how many did they make?
3: <laughs> I, I said this movie became pretty much a, a cult film. Like you said, you went to see the sequel and it ended up spawning three sequels and a television series. Now, how do you do that when the actor plays the maker dies? Well, I guess they just use different protagonists in each one. It didn't stop Starship Troopers. (laughs) Right, exactly. The question that I have is why did they keep making sequels? Because you said that The Crow City of Angels was terrible. Right. And it gets a 4.7 on IMDb. Right. Then they came out with this Canadian TV series in 98. That actually has a good rating, 6.5. It stars the chairman from Iron Chef America, Mark Dacascos. Whoa. Dacos- Deca Dacos- Dac- D- Wow. I can't say his name. <laughs> Holy shit. Keep, keep trying. Mark. Mark. <laughs> Dave, correct him. Dacascos. Mark Dacascos.
1: Wow.
0: Just call him Mark D. How about that?
3: Mark D. In 2000, they came up with another movie sequel, The Crow Salvation. 4.9, and then the Crow Wicked Prayer in 2005, a stunning 3.0 on IMDb, starring Edward Furlong and Tara Reed and Danny Trejo and Dennis Hopper. Wow. <laughs> just why do they keep making these sequels? Is there a huge market out there, or was there, for this movie? I just, this IP. I don't, do you understand it? I don't.
0: I don't understand it because as somebody who was a pretty big fan of the first one, after I saw the sequel, my interest in additional Crow material (laughs) came to a screeching halt and I did not seek out anything after that. At one point I ended up getting the James Obar, the original graphic novels, because I was curious to see what those were like. And truthfully, I didn't necessarily love those either. I preferred the movie version of it, which they, you know, they changed a little bit. I mean, they were fine, but it, it definitely wasn't necessarily my cup of tea from a comic standpoint. Mm-hmm. The, the question I was going to ask you guys in opening questions was, can you think of another franchise that has spawned as much sequel stuff where most of it's not that good? And Highlander was the other one that came to mind for me. Yeah, <laughs> it, Starship yeah. Troopers, for sure.
3: Yeah,
2: Tremors, well,
0: I guess. But I think, I think people actually kind of like the yeah, Tremors
2: yeah. movies. Yeah, but Tremors has like a goofy fun to it. So you can, you can make a really bad movie and keep Michael Gross in it. It's still fun. I guess. Is the criteria
3: that the original be actually really good? Because looking at Tara Reid and The Crow Wicked Prayer, I, I noticed <laughs> that there have been five Sharknado movies, at least five Sharknado no, just, movies. I don't, I don't count me. that shit. I mean, that's, that's okay.
0: real
2: bottom basement shit. Well, that's the problem now. So much junk that just gets made. I mean, look at Bruce Willis's career. They'll make anything now.
1: And the Oscar goes to Martin Scorsese. Director's Corner.
2: Yeah, I not much to say about Alex Proyas. I have not seen Dark City, so this is the only movie of his I've seen.
0: After seeing The Crow, I was actually pretty excited about him as a director, because I, I did think that his the vision and the style was actually really interesting. His background prior to doing feature films was a lot of music videos, which you can definitely feel that aesthetic throughout The Crow. I do recall enjoying Dark City, but it's been a while since I've seen it, and watching this movie kind of makes me want to actually rewatch Dark City just to Check it out and see what I think about it. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch
3: Dark City again for a long time.
0: No one's stopping you, dude.
3: <laughs> maybe it's not going to hold up. I'm not sure.
0: I don't know. I'm curious about it, so I might. I might watch it.
3: Maybe I'll make it my pick. Maybe. Well, maybe.
0: But yeah, after Dark City, <laughs> I
3: Robot in 2004 with Will Smith. That's totally forgettable.
2: Yeah, I think I did see that.
3: I saw it, and like I said, I it was just like not that good. Knowing sci-fi film. That movie's actually pretty good. I was actually wondering.
0: That's a Nicolas Cage performance that's actually pretty interesting. And the overall plot of that movie is...
3: That, that one I'd recommend,
0: actually. At least at least I recall enjoying it.
3: Okay, good. Because it did seem like it had some potential. And then 2016's Gods of Egypt with uh, Nikolai Koster-Waldau. I actually, somehow I ended up seeing it. It was not terrible. It's a bit
0: forgettable, but it really wasn't <laughs> that bad. Is it tied to something? Is it part of the like, Scorpion King
2: franchise or something? I don't think so. Okay. I'm not familiar with that. But Scorpion King's a franchise?
0: Well, what yeah, was it? The, yeah. the mummy turned into Scorpion King, turned into something else I can't keep Yeah. yeah.
3: To, for me, it's like he, he really hasn't done all that much. He, like, he had a really big start to his career and then yeah. not much after that. You know, I mentioned The Matrix and I, I do wonder, in an alternate universe, if you would get The Matrix written by the Wachowskis but directed by Alex Proyas, starring... Brandon Lee and Sandra Bullock. What do you think?
2: (laughs) Sandra Bullock kind of threw me. (laughs) I don't see her as Trinity.
3: (laughs) But remember, she was up for the role.
2: And she declined it because when it was uh, Will Smith was attached. I don't see Brandon Lee. Like, I haven't seen him in much. So that's a hard part. In this one, he's never a normal character. So it's hard to tell, like, how he would play Thomas Anderson, computer guy.
0: I think it had potential. I think, I think it would be a fun movie to watch in an alternate universe. Well, yeah. remember,
3: the Wachowskis originally wanted Brandon Lee to play Neo.
2: Yeah, I can see that, especially for the martial arts. Yeah,
3: I love The Matrix the way it is, but I could see that that could be like a really interesting version.
2: Yeah, it'd be a good fit, definitely. Yeah. So would you say the Wachowskis market corrected Alex Porius?
3: I don't know, maybe he just saw The Matrix and was like, this is what I wanted
0: to do.
2: He's like, fuck, they did so much better to me.
0: (laughs) I think the Wachowskis market corrected themselves, actually. yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, you look at all of his other films since Dark City, and they don't look like The Crow in Dark City. So I I just wonder what happened. What happened?
0: And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, hey, what
1: happened?
3: (laughs) 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 It seems a bit odd that he would just... Go 180 and start doing like sci-fi movies like iRobot.
2: She got rom-coms.
3: Very futuristic look to it, you know, just, I don't get it. Anyway,
2: I'll check out Knowing.
0: Knowing that was pretty interesting.
2: He got over his goth phase. Maybe. Grew out of it. He's like, uh,
0: tired of buying eyeshadow. I never had a really
2: deep goth phase that I recall. From the Edward Scissorhands podcast, I didn't think you liked goth too much.
0: I just don't like weirdos walking around with knives for fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Kid has shown his ass in eight of his last ten films, and eight of his last ten films have been hits.
2: So we need a guy with a fabulous ass.
1: Casting call.
0: All right, so you have Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, obviously the lead here.
2: Okay, I have to say I absolutely hate his last name, Draven. The Raven. The Raven. It's, ex- <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh my god! It, I just it's... I just got that now. <laughs> when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that is the dumbest. thing possible name oh man i hate it hate it but it's not de raven it's draven yeah i know but it's da raven horrible horrible
3: (laughs) so it's like 28 years since this that movie came out this is the first time i'm getting that
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and they did use ravens instead of crows in this movie by the way for the birds that were being used there were five trained ravens that they used because ravens were easier to train than crows and they figured that most people wouldn't know the difference
2: confirmed for
0: me I'm not gonna my
2: Raven versus Crow. Sorry. Fun fact: one of the smartest animals in the world. Since we're on casting, also one of the ravens used in the film Magic was used in all of the following movies. Go Magic!
0: <laughs> magic had a career. He got a career out of it. That's good. <laughs> good Magic.
3: Maybe Magic wasn't so good, and Magic was tanking in the ratings.
0: <laughs> you think so? Magic's performance in the in the fourth Crow didn't quite. I'm not. I'm not you know, buying that Crow. <laughs> didn't live up to the standard set in the first three. Yeah. Yeah. His cause were just lacking. James O'Barr, so the creator of the original material, wanted Johnny Depp to play the role. I think that's pretty funny when you think about Johnny Depp and Edward Scissorhands and the look of the crow. It all kind of circles the same drain.
3: It's a very similar look. Take Edward Scissorhands and put him into this movie and then take the crow and put him into Edward Scissorhands. (laughs) Yeah. I think they'd be better movies. I really do. I think they would be better. (laughs)
0: I think if you watched Eric Draven go on a rampage on Suburban Housewives for like an hour and a half, I could get on board with that. Sure. Yeah, why not? So Michael Wincott as Top Dollar. I do really like this performance because he's just going for it. It's, you know, it's completely over the top. It's absolute cartoon villainy is how I would describe this. I mean, it's it's total comic book villains. All the things that they do to make this guy just a scumbag. And I think it's pretty funny.
2: Every character is like that it's kind of fun well
0: i had initially i was kind of like when i was watching it i'm like re-watching i'm like um is this working and then i I reminded myself
2: these are supposed to be comic book villains okay i guess it works yeah i could almost rewatch it again and come in with that take when i was watching it i expected it to be a really good movie and it wasn't and so like that (laughs) suffers more than like yeah you have this expectation like oh yeah i remember that being a great movie but then, if you rewatch it now with the expectation, like okay, this is a goofy action movie, I might appreciate it more. That yeah, fire it up and like some of that. I was I kind of liked it a little bit more towards the end. But like, okay, this is not what I thought it was. Every character is like that too. Like, the lieutenant. Oh my god. <laughs> There's an article in Mental Floss by Aaron McCarthy.
0: It contains a clip of what Alex Proyas said on the uh, the DVD, and he said. Uh, In the very first test screenings, we had two or three people out of 300 who would ask, why is that Eric Draven guy coming back with the powers? Why can he come back from the dead? And Proyas said, I'm going, who the hell cares? I remember this was really big for everyone at the time, but now see the movie. It's obviously ludicrous. It's a suspension of disbelief and people go with it. So Proyas kind of knew what he was going for. Somewhat of a over-stylized, ludicrous comic book movie. He was not really making this as a straight action movie or like a drama action movie for sure. Really?
3: He wasn't? Because I thought he was.
0: mm No, not not when you go back and look at the interviews where he, he discusses it.
3: I just want to talk about Michael Wincott. What you said, but also, I love Michael Wincott. Oh, me too. <laughs> I love Michael Wincott. <laughs> he, unfortunately, I was like, whatever happened to him? He's still acting. He's so great. He's got this great, gravelly, deep voice. I feel like he just should have had a much bigger career. He always plays a really good villain.
0: Oh, he's a fantastic villain.
3: He was also in Miami Vice and Crime Story in the late 80s. I'm wondering, how is it that he never appeared in a Michael Mann film? Because those are two Michael Mann shows. He could have had his own movie. The star of a (laughs) Michael Mann movie. Anyway, I just love the guy. He is definitely a bright spot in this movie. But one thing I have to ask about this character. So his character is named Top Dollar.
0: Right. It's it's never mentioned in the movie, but that's what he's credited as.
3: Never mentioned in the movie. Right. Why not? (laughs) Like I was like, all I know is oh it's Wincott. Wincott from this movie. Wincott. Anyway.
0: They only refer to him as like the man or the boss or whatever it is a couple times. That's about it. Yeah. Ernie Hudson plays Albright and the Ernie Hudson performance in this movie is it's a roller coaster, is I would describe it. (laughs) Some scenes he seems very natural and very comfortable, and then other scenes he seems like I'm like, is this a different movie? I mean, like what sort of like weird affect are you putting on here and it's almost scene by scenes some of the scenes he has like in the apartment with Brandon Lee that's a great back and forth he's very natural but every time he talks to the lieutenant it's like he's in a different movie it feels like to me it's very strange
2: it's a scene out of Tingo and Cash or something it's like so bad
0: yeah it's uh, it's, (laughs) the lieutenant is just a ridiculous character who's
1: the cartoon character in the painted face
3: Gideon's blows all to hell, and you're having a chit chat with some weirdo who winds up in DeeBird's car when it zigs instead of zags. Then you steal one of my case files from homicide, and you're saying this is just a fucking
1: automobile accident? Come on!
0: He's the angry cop with no real reason to be angry. That character is just really bad.
3: Yeah, agreed. I like Ernie Hudson. I think he's just a really good, reliable character actor. He's good in this, so, but yeah, the performance is a little bit uneven. Yeah. In the apartment. That's kind of a good scene, but he's also like walking around, t shirt, his boxers, and his uh, policeman's cap, which is a kind of odd, kind of funny, like in terms of the tone of the movie, a little weird, but yeah. whatever.
0: Some scenes he's really great, and then other ones, mostly with the lieutenant, is just, it's. Is this a different Ernie Hudson? Did you have like, are there, you know, were there two different versions that showed up on the set? By the way, I think they originally wanted to get Robert Davi. For the uh, lieutenant,
3: and they just and they couldn't get him.
0: There's a lot of a Robert Davi edge too. That's a good call. So you have John Polito. So he shows up as Gideon, and I actually think that he might be the standout actor in this, like just in terms of the performance. I mean, he's in a lot of Coen Brothers films. You've seen him in tons of stuff, and he's actually a very yeah. good actor. The role is obviously sort of scummy, but I think he does it really well. Yeah, I agree.
3: Loved him in Miller's Crossing. Mealy
0: thought of
2: that when I saw him.
0: David Patrick Kelly. So he shows up as T-Bird. We talked about him a little bit. But when you need a freaky, weird dude to bring some freaky, weird energy, um, he's your go-to guy. Luther in 48 Hours. Luther in the Warriors. Sully in Commando. He's great. He's fun here. I mean, he has powerhouse kind of energy he brings. Uh, I really like the David Patrick Kelly performance. It's fun.
3: And I know you loved Anna Thompson as Darla, Sarah's
0: mom. Do you know that I'm not that big of a fan of Anna Thompson? Is that why you're saying that? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes,
3: <laughs> that's exactly why.
0: <laughs> yeah, for some reason, Anna Thompson's just one of those actors that just doesn't quite do it for me. Yeah, I think it's maybe because she's playing a lot of characters that were pathetic or, or I don't know. Yeah, that might pretty be much. It. I mean, I, I think she's a good actor, so it's not her abilities. It's just that I do not connect with her personally. Yeah, agreed. All right, that's all I was going to reference. So, anybody else in the that's cast?
3: That's it. What about Rochelle Davis as, as Sarah?
0: She made a movie 15 years after she made this one.
3: I know. Not trying to pile on or anything because this was her her very first credit, but not what I would call a strong performance. She was fine. It was a small role. In.
0: Uh, it wasn't that small. There was a little bit of like a scrappy street urchin edge to her in this film. <laughs> scrappy,
3: scrappy street urchin. Yeah. Yes. Pretty much. That's it. the only other person I I had to do my Star Trek The Next Generation reference, Tony Todd, who played Grange, who is like a henchman for uh, Top Dollar. Anyone know who he is? Anyone? Anyone? Come on. He had a pretty big role. Anyone? No? Anyone? No? He's Worf's brother, Colonel Kern. You're just just nodding your heads, shaking your heads. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, for all you Star Trek fans out there, Colonel Kern,
2: representing. I did read that uh, Cameron Diaz considered the role for Shelley, and then I think she read the script and passed. Uh (laughs) Oh, She's like,
3: I'm going to do There's Something About
2: Mary instead. She's like, "Uh, yeah, no. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately.
1: Opening questions.
0: All right, opening questions, guys. What do you got? Colin, you said you had some questions.
3: Oh, do I have some questions? Well, we sort of covered Edward hands, but uh, if the crow had scissors hands, would you hate this movie? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's just impractical. Here's a question that I just kept coming out throughout the entire movie. Is Eric himself the crow? Is that his moniker? Or is the crow the crow? I don't know. <laughs> who, who, is, who is the crow in this movie? <laughs> so this is sort of, Sort of connected to
0: my another question, which is... Did, I'm going to go did, out on a limb here. I'm going to answer my final Jeopardy okay, go question. Ahead, go ahead and, go ahead and answer. <laughs> what is the actual crow? <laughs> because a crow is a crow as far as I know, <laughs> even though it's a raven. So
3: I know, but the movie's called The Crow.
0: Right. So The Crow is his it's, spirit guide. He's a resurrected avenging force, but The Crow is guiding him.
3: He's not some superhero called The Crow,
0: why do you think Magic got five movies out of this deal, right? Because it's all about Magic the Bird, I mean yeah, Crow. The, the this... crow,
3: the crow resurrects someone. Okay, so the crow's actually the crow. Then why on IMDb is Brandon Lee credited as being Eric Draven slash the crow?
2: Because he's the raven. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, all right. So this is my next question. Yeah. Do you consider this a quote unquote superhero movie?
0: Ah, I was going to ask a similar question. Let me just pile on that one a little bit, which is, uh, if you don't consider this a superhero movie, what genre would you say this movie is?
2: Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, I would not call it a superhero movie. He can't be killed, but it's more of an, almost a horror movie, but it's not scary enough to be a horror movie. So yeah, like it's a weird kind of supernatural, it's kind of like Pet Cemetery. Oh, but...
3: Actually, I, I do know what genre of movie this is, because this is, this is my theory. I thought you were going to talk about this, and it turned out a bit to be nostalgia, but... I was pretty sure you were going to say the emotional reaction that you had was because this is actually your favorite genre of movie. It is the classic horror (laughs) rom-com.
0: No, you know what I would say this movie is? I think this movie is a superhero (laughs) slasher movie, actually. If you were to break this down and deconstruct it, you have a superhuman guy who is stalking people one by one and killing them off. It feels to me like this is the
2: first superhero slasher movie that was made. It's tough. You have a lot of horror movies where people are superhuman and and they can't be killed and they'd be shot. So that's why I just, I don't see it as much superhero in that regard. It's not like an origin story. He does get powers, but he just brought back from the dead. It wasn't his doing either. It's hard to classify. Yeah.
0: I actually, I mean, I do think of this as a superhero film, sort of. It's not, you know, not a straight superhero film, but if I were to look at the movies that came out around this time, right? So you have obviously Burton's Batman in 89, And then you have, was it Batman Returns? Is that 92, I think? Sure, Uh, somewhere around there. And then you have this film, and then Blade comes along, I think, in, was it 97? This, to me, is very much a, it's the start of sort of the new modern superhero. And I think there's a lot of that in here because you have him running and jumping on the rooftops. The Matrix is not necessarily a superhero movie, but there are elements there as well. The Matrix would be kind of superhero action, maybe, and this is superhero horror or slasher. That would be my take
2: on it. Yeah, Yeah, I'd agree. I would put in the same genre as blade and matrix like superhero movies have changed greatly yeah i think part of it's blade and, and the crow are based off comic books if they weren't based off comic books would they still be considered superhero movies if it was like a stephen king novel everything else the same instead of the source material being a comic book it was a novel would it still be considered a superhero movie yeah. or a horror movie i don't think it's a superhero movie
3: because what is his superpower
0: uh he has wolverine's healing factor and he has super strength a super agility He's superhero powers, dude. He has a super ability
2: to to follow a flying crow. Well, can you telepathically communicate with crows? I think that's more like supernatural and like that's more of a horror. There's no real answer. Like, is Sin City a superhero movie? No. No. Yeah. It's based off comic books, but clearly not. There's some weird genre.
3: It's a romantic
2: revenge thriller. There's no romance in this movie. Yeah, it is.
3: The the heart of this movie is this love between. Eric and Shelley.
2: Well, I understand that. But it's more revenge than love.
3: Which he gets
0: to after he kills a shitload of people along the way, right? (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) well,
3: (laughs) that's the thing. It's a revenge. I mean, it's basically Edward Scissorhands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see, Edward Scissorhands only murders one person, so that's the difference here.
3: Well, it's like he graduated.
2: Marcus, got anything? I would say there's a lot of religious overtones. The cat's name's Gabriel, he's an archangel. The girl's named Sarah, who's the wife of Abraham, and rising from the dead, and it's not really done well, so there's not a great overall theme to it. It's like a bunch of shit's thrown in there to try and make it seem more meaningful. Well,
0: it is interesting that they have the showdown at the church, for example.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The poetry they throw in throughout barely makes sense.
3: And of course, Michael Patrick Kelly, who's clearly Irish Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) Colin, you want to give us a plot summary? There's a really good one if you grabbed it. It's long, though.
3: We could do yours, and then I'll do mine. All right. You go first. A murdered mime or er, a musician is resurrected to avenge the deaths of himself and his fiance. Oh, that was it? So, huh, that's it? That's the short one. Yeah. Okay.
2: You got a long one, Marcus? Well. Let me see if I can find it. I do. You have a long <laughs> quote? <laughs> a poetic guitarist, Eric Raven. It's brought- <laughs> <laughs> Is there an apostrophe between the D and the <laughs> R in the way I read it? A poetic guitarist, Eric Draven, is brought back to life by a crow a year after he and his fiancée are murdered. The crow guides him through the land of the living and leads him to his killers: knife thrower Tintin, Drugget, it. druggit, druggen, druggenic fun boy, carbuff T bird, and the unsophisticated skank. One by one, Eric gives these thugs a taste of their own medicine. However, their leader top dollar Jesus Christ, is this a fucking summary of the movie or is it a I mean <laughs> he will dispatch his enemies with a Japanese sword and joke about it later will soon learn the legend of the crow and the secret to the vigilante's invincibility.
0: I think we're gonna go with Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Opening credits, I do think that the the combination of the sound and the graphic that gets put up on the screen, I actually think that's done really well. I do like the opening credits. I mean, I think they're stylish and, and pretty cool. And then that transitions to the flyover that you have over the city, which they did using miniatures, and then they actually projected the fire onto it. The combination of that technique, I think, is pretty effective. I do think that those opening visuals and the voiceover is really effective, and I think it does a great job of kind of establishing the overall atmosphere for the film. So I do think that the opening is pretty strong.
3: Sure, yeah. I, I think it does set the tone, and I, I, I do think that the set design is, is quite good. And what, using the miniatures, you can tell that there's something off. It's not normal, right? and that it's probably miniatures, but it works really well.
0: Yeah. And, and the fact that it's slightly off almost creates a little bit like a hypnotic effect in in my mind when, when you're looking at it. There's something yeah, that's a well, little
3: bit... Well, it, it seems a little bit
2: otherworldly, surreal. I'm not sure which. Yeah. The whole movie does definitely has that feel of you're in another time or era. Or this isn't quite the same world that we live in now.
0: I think the overall aesthetic is actually really impressive. It's consistent through the film and it's the idea that you're kind of in a different, slightly different reality. The darkness yeah. and the rain and, and the lighting, I think, is actually... The lighting with the reflection that they use. So there's lots of reflected imagery in this movie in terms of coming off of water and there's, you know, flashes of light and that kind of stuff. I think it's actually pretty interesting.
3: Yeah, and th- somehow the filmmakers managed to make Detroit look even worse than it, than it used to be. <laughs> it's really dirty. I mean, this is like a really shitty part of town.
0: When it flies in and you go right up to the building, this is where, again, uh, Ernie Hudson's his smoking just kind of throws me off. The way that he's holding the cigarette, it just doesn't look right to me. And every time in the rest of the movie and he's smoking all the time, I'm actually looking at his fingers to see the way he's holding a cigarette. It's just a weird little mini obsession. But I mean, you guys were smokers before. Doesn't it look wrong the way he's holding the cigarette or not?
3: Well, there was one scene where I was like, why are you holding a cigarette like a joint? But then he changed it in his hand and he held it a different way. So I don't know what he was doing. To be honest, I don't even know if he was actually smoking or not, because I can tell when actors are actually smoking or not. But I didn't really notice it. So I, th- I feel like he probably was since I didn't notice.
0: They give Ernie Hudson a whole bunch of really weird dialogue. And I would say bad dialogue. They bring Shelly downstairs and the asshole lieutenant shows up and starts yelling
2: at him. Is this the victim? No, it's me, Earhart. We found a detective and you missed it.
1: I don't care what her name is. They get the order to move it. Jesus, alright. I can see why they took away your gold cool
0: sheet. You're going to wait for a police lieutenant? How about the paramedics that are there that are helping her, right? When you want to get her to the hospital as quickly as possible? So that subplot to try and establish some sort of conflict between the lieutenant and Ernie Hudson is just totally ridiculous. That dying woman
3: is ruining my crime scene. <laughs> right. It's totally ridiculous.
0: They're just trying to find ways for him to get frustrated. You call that fucking coffee? It's like, like, whatever is going on, right? It's like, you can't walk straight. It's so like he just yells at anything, right? Just, he's just mad. The lieutenant says, you know, is this the victim or something like that? And, he, and Ernie Hudson replies, no, it's Amelia Earhart, which I thought was just a really <laughs> bizarre line of dialogue. We're referencing Amelia Earhart here? I mean, of all the things you could have thrown out there, that just
2: really struck me as being off. Well, they wanted to joke because the, uh, the lieutenant replies back with, I don't care what her name is. Get her out of here or something. He doesn't right. even pick up that like he was joking. It was dumb. It was just bad writing. They're loading her in the ambulance. And again, this is all of a sudden, you know, Ernie
0: Hudson's, uh, when he's talking to Sarah... I think that's a pretty good scene. feels very natural. He feels very consoling. He goes from this weird interaction with the lieutenant where it's not working to two seconds later and he's talking to Sarah and it's a good performance. (laughs) Just an example of what I mentioned in terms of the roller coaster up and down. I think it's more the material, what they give him to say is the problem. Well, also like some of the exposition too.
2: The wedding's tomorrow. Who the fuck gets married on Halloween? And like just the dialogue between all the cops. It, It didn't feel smooth in any of it.
0: No, they're trying to throw in some exposition
2: Sort of works. I mean in terms of establishing yeah. what the date is, but that's about it. Yeah, the devil's night and the fires and that stuff too. just it all very came out very clunky.
3: I think they did rewrite the beginning of the movie and maybe that's it's it's really showing here.
2: I know
0: one of the things that they did was they took a lot of the scenes that they had filmed, which was supposed to be Eric Draven and Shelly hanging out around the apartment. And they turned all of those into those flashbacks. That's one of the things they had to do because there were some additional scenes that they were planning to shoot with Brandon in those areas. And so the way that they managed it was to turn it into those flashbacks, the montages basically. Some of that works and some of it doesn't. It's very
3: red in those <laughs> montages from a Color Palette. None of, none of it works. I don't I didn't like that no, lot, I think it, at I all. No, I think some
2: of it does actually. I actually read that uh, Alex, uh, the director of Proyas, he wanted to shoot the whole film in black and white. And then the flashbacks would be the only scenes in color, yeah. which would be kind of interesting. And the studio shit all over that and shut it down. <laughs> yeah. I understand why the studio did it. But it's also like the movie is very monochromatic overall, except for the flashbacks. So he kind of got away with it to some degree without it being full black and white. Sin City did that with that over stylized, right? That worked for that one. Yeah. I think it could have worked for this too, if they could have done the same similar kind of look. It would have been cool. Uh, these two movies are not the same. I'm not saying it'd be similar, but I think, I think it's just making it more of a cult movie too. I wouldn't call Sin City wildly better than The Crow, though.
3: I would. Absolutely. 100%.
2: I haven't seen it in a long time. Way so. better. Way better. Hmm. Yeah,
0: that'd be an interesting debate. I'd have to rewatch Sin City to really formulate an opinion on that Maybe one. Maybe
2: you should choose it. You get a pick soon. So
0: then this shifts to the graveyard and the actual resurrection. And, you know, Sarah's going to the graveyard and visiting them. The Crow slash Raven is sitting on top of the uh, the gravestone. You know, she says, you know, what are you, the Night Watchman? And there's a little bit of Newt from Aliens energy coming off of her in some of these scenes. Her first film, so you can't really hold it against her. But there could have been a little bit less of the scrappy kid, I think, in this movie.
3: Yes, but she's a big part of the story.
0: And I do actually think the resurrection sequence is really cool. You know, there's a one POV shot of one point where he's coming out of the ground. You know, I mentioned this, but the reflection of the light and the lightning coming off of the wet leaves on the ground. I think that that all looks really good. And I also like the fact that when he comes out of the ground. He's confused and messed up and sort of rolling around and trying to figure things out. I like that scene.
3: You love this movie.
0: (laughs) No, I really like this movie. I don't love this movie. (laughs) I would not put a poster up on my wall for this movie today, for example. Right?
2: (laughs) right.
0: T-Bird's gang ends up blowing up the arcade. Apparently what they did was they shot a version where while they were in the arcade breaking it up, they had a woman that tied up as a hostage. And you can see this, I guess, in a work print. And so they they put the bomb right next to her and they were being sadistic to her. She gets blown up. And that was the first person that Eric Draven comes upon. And when he touches her, he absorbs, you know, the fact that she was experiencing this pain. And that was supposed to set up the idea that he had this power that he could transfer it to top dollar at the end of the movie. Because otherwise, that just kind of comes out of left field.
3: They should have kept that in, I think.
0: I think they cut it specifically because they decided that it was a little bit too sadistic for T-Bird's gang. And I'm thinking, really? Because, really? (laughs) I have to say that this movie is pretty nasty, honestly, with some of the POV shots when the rape's going down. I mean, it's pretty unpleasant.
2: Yeah, the whole gang, their energy and everything remind me a lot of uh, Clockwork Orange. It has that same sort of crazy vibe. That's a good call, actually. Yeah,
0: they're just awful, awful people. They are cartoonishly evil, basically yeah. all
2: the all the bad guys in this movie. Yeah, I did like the one scene, like Officer Albrecht and Sarah are having a hot dog. The gang goes screeching by in the car. He's like, "Oh, there's bad people out tonight." <laughs> he goes back to his hot dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey man, he tried yeah. to he tried to make a difference before, and they busted him down to beat
2: cop. Yeah.
3: By the way, who who puts ketchup on a hot dog?
1: Nobody. Nobody.
3: I
0: mean,
1: nobody puts ketchup on a hot
2: dog. He put, he didn't put ketchup. He put mustard, knowing it's because onions make you fart. I heard that from Sarah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you have Brandon Lee, or sorry, Eric Draven, stumbling back to his apartment. He encounters Gabriel the cat. Gabriel the cat still looks like he's pretty well fed, so who's feeding the cat? I had that question.
3: <laughs> I had a similar question. It was, this cat's been living there now for, for a year. year in this abandoned building.
2: Its fur coat is like... It's clean, it's white, yeah.
3: pure white, how'd that happen?
2: They definitely were going for this angel... Type character i don't know if it's a character the name's gabriel it's a white cat it's like a pure white too
0: yeah i don't know how you blend the religious yeah. theology into this movie like i don't i don't really i think the names are there but and the church at the end but aside from that i'm not really picking up
2: on the themes well i think they're also like the resurrection it doesn't all tie together and doesn't really work
0: let's call it what it is it's half-assed
2: yeah that's the point
0: that being said i'm totally bought into <laughs> the transformation sequence When he takes the run, uh, you know, out the window and he runs and jumps and it cuts his hand and then he spins and then lands. Pretty much as soon as burn kicks in from The Cure and he goes through the transformation, totally bought in. I like the transformation scene. You love this movie. I do, I like this movie, (laughs) like I said. Uh,
3: I'm gonna stand by that. I was very underwhelmed by it. I didn't like the whole, I am so angry. And so the first thing I think about is to put some makeup on my face. (laughs) No, I just, I just did.
0: <laughs> Have you ever come back from the dead? <laughs> the other thing is that here it's intermixed where it goes goes back to T-Bird's gang. They're they're swallowing bullets. So I, I did look up what happens if you swallow a bullet. Uh, not recommended, by the way. So if you're listening to this podcast, please do not <laughs> follow the example shown in the crow and swallow a bullet because it's bad for you. <laughs> you can get lead poisoning and die.
3: Yeah, it seemed like a really bad idea, especially since they, they keep punching each other. It's like. One, one wrong punch in the stomach and
0: poof. I think Skank's been eating like buckets full of bullets, basically. Something must be going on there. I don't get the Skank character in this. It,
2: it's terrible.
0: Skank's kind of like my MVP, but for that
2: one scene, which we'll get to later. Like they all pull guns on each other in the bar. I
0: do like the energy that each of them are bringing to it. They dial it up for sure. Like I said, I mean, this is, you know, one to 10. It's a 37, right? I mean, everybody's just way over the top. So I think it works in, in terms of at least the frenzy that they're creating i don't know that this the fired up thing still is like a little bit (laughs) i fucking love it
3: that's the one thing i've this movie that i've come to really really appreciate the fired up part it is it is and that's the thing later on when when skank is telling uh top dollar and he like sort of recreates it he's like on his own it 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 is fantastic it is
0: so good so I'll pile on that and I'll say that oh, the scant character I find kind of annoying. It's like, why do you have this guy so bizarre, you know, speech patterns and all that kind of stuff. But it does allow Wincott to deliver the line.
1: We ought to just videotape this play it back in slow motion. Bye, bye,
0: bye. <laughs> yeah. That's a great line. Like that actually made me laugh. Like that was a, that, okay, that, that might be worth the scant character right there is just to have that joke.
2: So if this movie was released in 1981, does it work? I think it's a good movie for 1981. Why 1981? Yeah. Maybe 79? I don't know. Late 70s, early 80s movie with the rundown cities, like the ultra violence in it.
0: Are, are you thinking about The Warriors? Is that what you're thinking about?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's that kind of era of movie. Crazy, over the top. Interesting. <laughs>
3: and of course, you got Michael Patrick Kelly so. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> all the Patrick Kellys.
3: It seems like it's too dark for the early 80s.
2: Cruising was there. Yeah. The uh, Escape from New York. Those are like all very like... Well, I'll skip dark and York, twisted yeah. movies all right i'll go with it yeah it could work it's a movie from a different era maybe he's like really loved those movies from that time and like wanted to like pay homage to it
0: okay the guy that has the beret and the sunglasses and the at, at top dollars layer at the end that guy walked straight out of a ni- mid-1980s canon film right onto the set <laughs> he's like <"But, laughs> yeah generic terrorist is like i'm your guy and then by the way <laughs> let me just i'll just pile onto that and say no one wears a beret. Berets just don't work. Let's just outlaw berets. <laughs> like, you just, just can't pull it off. It just doesn't work.
3: Only if you're a Black Panther does a beret work. The
0: look of that guy in particular is crazy goofy. It's a moment of shock. Whoa. Am I, am I in a mid-80s action movie? Like, low-budget action
2: movie? When I see that guy, will come on the screen. I, mean, there's... I had that feel like, at the end of that earlier, it really felt like Commando in many scenes. The dialogue and characters and just some of the goofiness of it just kind of really does fit into that early 80s action type movie. The next big scene is
0: Tintin's death, right? So Tintin had gone to uh, Gideon's and on the way back, this is where he's attacked by the crow. Just leading up to that, yeah.
3: this is the uh, Spider-Man in the, the very first, you know, Spider-Man movie with um, Tobey Maguire running along the rooftops and discovering his powers, yeah. right? This is the same sort of thing as Eric is running along the rooftops, right? Yeah. I just wanted to point this out because the special effects are really bad in this scene. You could clearly see that it's like sort of him superimposed onto this set. The crow is right out in front of him and they're both like superimposed. It's just really
0: not good. Well, I mean, maybe it's okay for 95 or 94, I guess is what I would say.
3: I think that it probably was pretty cheap back then as well. Now it
0: looks like super, super cheap. For
2: 1979, it was great. (laughs)
3: <laughs> for 1979 it was wonderful
0: <laughs> yeah the escape towards the end after the top dollar shootout occurs to me is worse that's actually the part where i think the effects suffer the most is where he's doing the same sort of thing yeah yeah, they're, they're similar i think the opening sequence post transformation is a little bit
2: better that it to me is okay i never got taken out of it it doesn't look realistic but i don't think i feel like it's trying to look realistic it looks like it's intentional? Not really intentional, but they're not trying to make it super realistic either, right? It felt fine. Well, they, they had the budget that they had to work with as well. There were some
0: limiting factors. Yeah, it was a very low budget movie.
3: Okay, well, all I'm saying is, I thought it looked
0: cheap. We get to the attack on Tintin. I think out of any scene that I have probably rewatched, because maybe it's like, okay, you know, drop into YouTube or whatever and see a scene, it's probably this fight between the Crow and Tintin, because I I think it's actually staged pretty well. I like the opening sequence where he's walking through and you you have the face distortion because the heat, I'm not sure if that was one of the scenes that that they had to modify. Lawrence Mason as Tintin, I think it works. I think it's just a well-staged fight because he throws him against the wall. It's kind of brutal in the beginning. I do like the fact that the Crow character has the upper hand in the beginning. You know, when Brandon Lee's leaning in on him, demanding that he tell him about what happened and like you see spit flying out and all that kind of stuff like i think brandon lee's going for it why don't you tell me a story
1: a man and a woman in love a year ago right. listen i'm sure you'll remember
3: you
0: killed them on halloween yeah yeah okay halloween yeah some dude some bitch whatever her name was shot. so i think that's a pretty good scene for brandon lee
2: in this movie i'd agree i think it's a, the best of all the like kill scenes all the fights I think it's the best one
0: and deflecting the knives and catching the knife and all that i mean it's pretty cool i like it yeah exactly yeah yeah. i I liked the knife work that was good i think i was thrown off a
3: little bit because the the scene starts with him taking a swan dive off the rooftop and landing on the ground on his back right and what does he do marcus
2: he laughs like the joker it's like (laughs) crazy laugh he
0: just like laughs hysterically and i was like huh I have in my notes here not sure the laughter works (laughs) I have
2: that as my as a note that I took if you ignore that open of the scene then the rest of it kind of does I I like the rest of it
3: I liked him walking towards Tintin I sort of thought he looked because of the the makeup he did sort of look like a demented mime (laughs) I can't get it out of my mind I'm sorry
0: it's directly referenced in the movie right because Ernie Hudson says at some point
2: guy shows up looking like a mime from hell and
1: you lose him right out in the open well, at least into do that. Walking against the wind, should I hate that?
3: He does, yeah.
0: They're not They're hiding right. from that fact, right?
3: Good. I think if, if he came back as a demented mime, this would have been a better movie.
0: <laughs> but instead of killing people, you're just basically like trapped in a box. You're standing in the middle of the street. Actually, <laughs> so. as
3: a horror movie, he puts them in a box. I could get behind that as a horror movie.
0: I think I would be scared by a Demented Mime. Resurrect Shields and Yarnell and have them come back and you know put on a whole show.
2: Was it Demented Mime <laughs> one of the uh, uh, horror Oh, and, uh, in uh, <laughs> Cabin in the Woods? Cabin in the Woods.
3: <laughs> if not, should have been. That Maybe that was
0: Kevin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's Kevin, Demented Mime. By the
0: way, one other thing about this scene, apparently uh, for the rating purposes, they cut some scenes. There's an extended cut of this where I guess you see the crow character stabbing Tintin directly in the face. Um, <laughs> mm, so, yeah. what you know? I mean, that could have been interesting, or at least what you see is, I guess, that the, you see the knife above his face, and then you see the hand going back and forth and, and blood squirting out. They did tone see, down the violence. That would make a little it bit. a horror movie. Yeah, like that's what saw. That it's slasher I mean, it's movie, right? Definitely. It's it's a slasher. Yeah, it's yeah. a superhero slasher movie. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Instead, what you get is
3: apparently he kills him by stabbing uh, Tintin in every major bodily organ in alphabetical order. At least that's what the police say later on. And how I'm
0: wondering what order.
3: <laughs> how do you know that?
0: I'm assuming that that was a joke that the police were making as opposed to a literal commentary on what they think happened. I don't know.
3: But it was like, okay. Whatever.
0: You're like, okay, heart H, liver L, going through all the organs. <laughs> he get pa- Pancreas B, oh, pan- lungs uh, the, L, okay.
3: Oh, d- wait, did you get the pancreas? You got the pancreas. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Forgot about the appendix.
0: God Are there any it. Q organs? Are there any Q organs? <laughs> 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 and then so from here, it he transfers to top dollars lair. And Michael Wincott and his quote unquote sister, I just, what they pack into this amount of space to make this person truly despicable is actually, it's, it's pretty impressive, right? So I'll just run off the list. Uh, first of all, he's having sex with his sister.
3: Oh, well, come, come on. He, he's he's not like his sister. Half, half sister. Half sister. She is clearly not related to him. My father's daughter. That's
1: right. It's a matter you don't see the resemblance.
3: No, no. She is clearly not related to him. Now, if you said uh, a stepsister, I would believe it.
0: But they don't say that, so I'm going off of what they say in the movie, which is his sister. I know you may not believe that.
3: I think it's an act. They're like the White Stripes.
2: Oh, is his sister? Is it his wife? What? Do you like them better than the uh, than the Hudson Hawk? Uh, oh, the Minervas? <laughs> yeah, Minervas.
3: <laughs> yes, because I like Michael Wincott <laughs> and Sa- Sandra Bernhardt. I would take Bai Ling over Sandra
0: Bernhard. Oh, definitely. So they've apparently been having sex with a woman, and she's dead. So they just killed her during sex. And you know, Michael Wincott, the way he says it, is like, oh, we broke her. And then immediately... I think Micah is her name. She grabs a knife to just carve out her eye, right? And then they set the eye on fire, and it's like, what? what is going on here? Like, what's all this voodoo bullshit? But I think, in general, what I would say is it's just so much fun to watch Michael Wincott in this film because he's having a ball. Yeah. It's very entertaining, but I do think that, you know, they go way over the top on the cartoon, you know, villainy here, it's just, and it's just kind of fun.
3: I could just imagine him on set getting, reading the
0: script and going, What's this movie about? <laughs> okay, whatever. I, I'm just going to have some fun. Got long hair. He's got a cabinet full of swords. Sure, what the hell? I'll, I'll do it. You know Why he has a cabinet full of swords as well? Another question, but anyways. That's his thing. Oh, I have many questions. All right, well, I'm going to move on to the pawn shop sequence. So this is where Eric Draven shows up at the pawn shop. I do think this is where... Brandon Lee gets a little bit like his performance gets elevated, I think, just playing off of John Polito. So I I think the two of them actually work pretty well together. And I think this is one of the best scenes, I think, for Brandon Lee, kind of the casual nature with which he's fucking with Gideon, messing with him and just enjoying the fact that he has his superpowers and he's messing with this guy.
3: Does his superpowers include quoting Edgar Allan Poe? He quotes it
0: inaccurately, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I just assume that that's what it was. It's not a bad scene. Well, and I do think the end moment where he pulls the shotgun out and he says, does that gasoline I smell? And then he turns around the visual effect that they did there. They did it by creating, you know, a puff of smoke and then dropping the rings through. So they filmed it that way. And then they superimposed that over the front of the shotgun. That to me is an example of some pretty interesting filmmaking to create the effect that they do, because I think it actually looks pretty cool. I just kept
3: wondering why Joe Polito kept yelling, shit
0: on me, shit on me. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) it was weird. What? I'll add to that by saying he he throws a a you know this uh, pejorative at him and he says you're nothing but street grease street <laughs> grease like, has has anyone ever yelled that at anybody in, in in the history aside from this movie I'm not sure what street grease is I think it was supposed to be like uh, you'll be nothing but a, a
3: grease spot after you know after they're through with you you'll be a grease spot and somehow got turned
0: into street grease street
1: was grease was
3: it street
0: grease
1: yeah. yeah
3: that sounds like something you'd put in your hair. <laughs> if, you're, if you're like the fonds the Fonz used it
0: i use pomade the Fonz uses street grease <laughs> that's kind of what i was thinking about actually it did occur to me that it could be a hair product so while this scene's going on they briefly cut back to the tin tin murder scene and this is just another example of where you have ernie hudson engaging in dialogue with the lieutenant and they, they give Ernie Hudson, so they give you know, Albright this line and he's sitting there and he's looking around and he has this very sophisticated analysis of the situation and he says, it could be a turf hit, doesn't look like typical gang crap. It's just like the most generic sentence or whatever. And the lieutenant jumps on him and says, you're, you're a beat cop now. It's just like the lieutenant, the lieutenant Ernie Hudson energy in this movie and like the whole subplot there is just, uh, it's unnecessary. Maybe they cut it from the script, but there
3: must have been like some B storyline where they had a romantic relationship in the past and, and and it ended really poorly and now you know the lieutenant's out <laughs> to get him or something like that. He's like spurned lover. No?
0: You're not going you're I, not buying it? I, I, no. <laughs> Watch the way he's, he's holding the cigarette. He's like, You're gonna write it up as graffiti, and then he almost skips away. <laughs> it's very strange energy. <laughs> 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 eh, yeah, not sure not sure exactly what's going on there. You know, Albrecht runs into Draven. Most of the interaction between the two of these actors, I think, is pretty good. So it's kind of fun. I mean, this is where Marcus was talking about the fact that the Draven character is just having a little bit of a good time or, you know, he's not just this focus killer. He's a little bit more whimsical, you know, does have the guitar with him. One question I have around the policing here is, so he has a guy at point blank range that basically has admitted to killing somebody, but he still can't get his, his mind off the guys that are stealing TVs off in the corner so I would think if you had a confirmed murder suspect that would be your main focus I guess the question is is Albright a bad police officer and is that really why he got busted down to beat cop I think so
3: I I don't I just think he was given a bad script
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do like the just the overall back and forth between the two of them though during the scene
1: I said don't move I thought the police always
2: said freeze well I am the police and I say, don't move Snow White, you move you're dead. And I say I'm dead, and I move. This is good life.
0: From here, we get to the Fun Boy sequence. I do think that the Fun Boy, the Tintin, and the T-Bird kills are all actually executed pretty well. This one, I think, is interesting because, you know, now Draven's kind of going over the top with his daring people to hurt him. Take your shot, Fun Boy. You got me, Dead Bang. And, you know, he puts his hand on the gun and fun boy pulls the trigger. I, I think the effects work of, of actually his hand coming back together is not the strongest. <laughs> no, it's not. From the effects scene. As Brandon Lee's walking forward, and he's telling the joke about Jesus. His energy in that scene is actually really good. He's having fun and enjoying the moment with his superpowers.
2: Again, it was another like religious attempt that doesn't really tie together. Well.
0: It's a reference, but to what end, I, I see where you're going there. Colin, you're shaking your head. It was
3: an okay scene. The thing that stood out the most was that at the beginning of the scene, Fun Boy was really going to town on Darla's arm, and I wasn't quite sure what he was doing. Wasn't he trying to shoot her up? No, he was, he was like, he had his mouth on her arm. It was just weird. Doesn't matter. I will say that when Fun Boy dies, if you're gonna die, being pumped full of morphine is not a terrible way to go.
0: I was kind of assuming that he probably got stuck with a few of those syringes when they were not loaded, though. You think? Because didn't he say you're wasting it, right? When I thought he was squirting them out before he was just driving the syringes into him. I don't know. So by the way, one other thing about this scene that I thought was interesting in doing the research, when you see Draven after this, like all of a sudden there's electrical tape that's wrapped around Draven. You, you, see, yeah, it, there's you, that. you see it on his hands, you see it on his torso and all that. And a- apparently there's a longer scene that you can see where the fun boy attack was supposed to be the very first one that Draven did. And when he... Goes to help Darla and clear out the morphine. There was supposed to be a rule that when he came back as this avenging spirit, uh, the right of what he had to do was to avenge himself by killing the people that were involved. And so, by helping Darla, he violates one of the rules and that reduces his power. And then, when Funboy attacks him, it cuts his hand and it cuts his torso. And then he solves that by wrapping the electrical tape around it. So, that's the explanation as to why he has electrical tape show up later in the movie. It was because they had an alternate version of what they were trying to do in the script. And then they had to change some of it after Brandon Lee's death. Here's a
3: really good example of why you cut stuff out of a movie, because I would have been completely
0: confused by that.
1: Yeah.
3: So good editing is what I'm saying. Well, did
0: you guys read about the Skull Cowboy? That sounds familiar. So originally, there's a whole subplot and a character that exists. You can see the actual, I like, can go to YouTube and you can see the footage. After Draven is first resurrected, there's this, they call him the Skull Cowboy character. and Oh,
3: right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: He's supposed to be there to give Draven the rules about what he can and can't do But proyas said that they couldn't get the effect to look correct And then also there were some still some additional scenes that they had to shoot with brandon lee And so for those two reasons, they just cut the skull cowboy out entirely Yeah, and so what they did was they actually used the voiceover for Sarah in place of it to deliver some of the exposition there But originally he was supposed to be there and say hey the rules are you can kill the people that wrong you, But that's all you can do you can't help anybody else and then you have to go back to your grave and that's one of the reasons why when he goes into the church at the end to save Sarah, he loses his power. So that was the intent in terms of setting that thing up, setting up the mythology around what you could not couldn't do.
3: Okay, huh? so I thought he was losing his power because the crow got shot.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought too. They, they were just trying to figure out a way to solve for the fact that they couldn't have their skull cowboy exposition. So that was thrown in.
3: Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, another reason why I just don't really connect with this movie.
0: Moving on. Then there's the scene at Albrecht's apartment. Uh, I do like the moment where he goes to the refrigerator and he gets him a beer. I just think that the interaction there is kind of fun. Because <laughs> you know, he gives him the beer and he hands it to him and Ernie Hudson's sort of confused and then they have a nice moment where they go back and forth. Apparently during that conversation, Brandon Lee improvised the lines about the little things or the trivial things are important. So he just made that up on the spot. I think that's a good scene between the two of them. Ernie Hudson feels very natural and Brandon Lee, I think, is feels very natural. And it just uh, I think it works. I like the scene, but I just keep feeling it's it's wrong
3: for the tone of the movie. Or maybe maybe I just don't understand what the tone of the movie is or should be. But I keep expecting it to be much darker and more brooding. This is a brightly lit apartment.
2: It's like half buddy cop movie.
3: They're they're acting they're acting very casually, like a very casual relationship. You do realize that you're wearing all black and you've got white you know makeup on your face it's almost like a buddy came over for a beer yeah a little just a bit
0: odd well i think they're doing that to basically represent the fact that he was a human back in the day and so he's just not an avenging spirit he has elements of his personality that are there and those are coming back to life as well
2: and who doesn't like a nice course
0: or later in the movie just beer is when you look at the label because <laughs> it looks like Coors, and it just says beer <laughs> apparently they can only show Coors a certain amount of time so when he's walking out too i, I like the moment
2: Here we got to Vanish into thin air again? I thought I'd use your front door. Look, man, uh, I'm sorry as hell for what happened to you and your girlfriend. Yeah. There's a nice
0: little moment of vulnerability there. I don't know. I just think that that's one of the better scenes for Brandon Lee in terms of his acting in this movie. So and then it goes back to top dollars, his lair, I guess, <laughs> his club. This is exactly how I refer to it
3: in my notes: as top dollars lair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a club, isn't it? Is, it's a, club yeah, there? it's like yeah, it's it's like the it's like office like a board room the in the club, club or something. Yeah,
0: top dollars lair. <laughs> so John Polito's is having the, the drink poured for him. I think he's a high caliber actor, so his just all the little actions and stuff he does to me really kind of stand out, and it's it's just fun to watch.
2: He's definitely the best actor in the movie.
0: You know, when they go upstairs, you know, great, he he pulls out the sword, he ends up sticking him through the throat. I thought Top Dollar was very impatient for his death, right? Because he just shoves the sword through his throat. You know, he's struggling, and then he says, oh, why don't you die already? I think you got to give the guy a couple minutes to die, (laughs) don't you think? Isn't that reasonable? If you stick a sword through somebody?
2: I think so, yeah. Well,
3: you know, it was right through his throat and he was probably going to sit there and more, like probably die from drowning on his own blood. Right. I think it was a good idea to just take him out. Nobody
0: wants to watch that. It was more top dollars in patience for the whole thing. If you want to kill somebody right away, shoot him. Don't stick him with a sword. Or stick him in the heart. He had a
3: half-sister and a full plate of cocaine to get back to. <laughs>
0: that was huge. That was a Tony, Tony Montoya flat pl- pile of cocaine in front of him. Tony Montana? Tony Montana, sorry. By the way, so this is where you have the first guitar interlude, which is you know Draven up on the building, playing his guitar. This is just like personally, if you're going to cut a couple scenes from the movie, I think you can lose the guitar stuff. (laughs) That's my opinion. It was already an hour 40. It wasn't really on the long side that they needed to cut more. To Colin's point, I guess thematically, if you're just kind of locking in on the fact that he's an avenging spirit and this is the focus of the movie, I don't know that you need the the guitar Uh sessions
3: but he's a musician so they had to have him i mean the guy fronted a band called hangman's joke you got to have a guitar in there right
2: his hit song it can't rain all the time
3: <laughs> it was just kind of goofy to be playing solo guitar up on the up on the roof
2: just goes to show that alex progress background is music videos he just likes that visual i think that's where it fits in yeah it
0: looks nice i mean the you know the style is definitely there i just think that it's
2: not particularly necessary how much of their budget went to music in this film anyways? Because they have a lot of like good, they weren't huge stars in 94, but they were big names. Yeah. It's right? good crossing. Temple Pilots, Secure, Jesus Mary Chain, Rage Against the Machine. They had a ton of good music in it. By the way,
0: do you know that uh, Robert Smith, uh, they cut the Burn track in two days because uh, apparently they reached out to him and said, hey, you know, we, could we use some of your music in the movie? And he was a big fan of James Obar's work. And he said, oh, we'll write you a new song. And he just cranked it out in two days. That's a pretty good song to come up with in two days.
2: Gonna write you a love song. Really?
3: Because <laughs> I mean, it was like they're they're, it's they're playing. They're playing it. The lyrics are literally, and it's while he's putting on the makeup and Every burn, Just paint your face. The shadow smile. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then dreaming the crow black dream. Uh, it's just like oh boy, it's good. Then again, look, I'm not. I'm not a big Cure fan, so
0: it might be my favorite Cure song. I don't know. <laughs> the lyrics aren't
2: great. The music's. Yeah. It's catchy. I like it.
0: From here we go to the T bird death. The cops that see the T bird's car go racing by and, and the one cop has a full cup of coffee, you know exactly what's gonna happen to that coffee. Right? So it's a little oh, bit yeah. of like a weird kind of like half second of vaudevillian yeah. shtick that ends up showing up in this movie, and then the cops start chasing the the car as it goes racing by. Um one other thing I thought about that was interesting about this is a bunch of the stuff that you see in that sequence is is using miniatures. So they didn't actually have like full-sized cars that were racing around. And so I think it's pretty well done for, you know, intermixing miniatures and real cars. I I think it's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah. I like the Yugo showing up.
3: (laughs) I I loved the Yugo because it was like, you you know, you get run over by a Yugo and what you find out, it it doesn't really hurt all that much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. I wouldn't say it's a great stunt work. It's fine. Like, I think it kind of works, but it's not a great...
0: Well, I don't think the chase sequence is all that great, but I think yeah, the fact yeah, that yeah. they had to use miniatures to pull it off and that it blends pretty seamlessly yeah. with the rest of the movie is really impressive to me. I think they did a nice job yeah. with it. Yeah, I agree with that.
3: I really liked the Michael Pat- or David Patrick Kelly's death scene. Yeah. I think that was actually a good scene. I think he's yeah. great in that scene, David Patrick Kelly. He's really good. He's like, I don't know what he's saying, but at one point he says, There ain't no coming back. I know you.
1: I knew, I knew you, I knew, I knew you, but you ain't you, you can't be you, we put you through the window, there ain't no coming back, this is the really real world, there ain't no coming back, we killed you dad. there ain't no coming back, there ain't no coming back, there ain't no coming
0: back. Yeah, it's just,
3: it's a, it's a good performance.
0: Yeah, I think it works pretty well. And I I do think that the earlier sequence where Brandon Lee's waiting for him in the car and he puts the gun up against his head. And I think that's a a pretty nice little menacing moment for Brandon Lee. Right. And the nice thing about the T-Bird situation is that it's just he it's he's not fucking around. So the whole it's like I'm taping you to your chair. You know, here's the grenade. You know, no debating, no waiting and all that kind of stuff. He's just basically like you're dead and nothing's going to change that. Watching um, T-Bird begin to have that realization, like you say, as it comes across his face, I think that whole scene is pretty good. Obviously helped by just David Patrick Kelly himself kind of carrying it a bit. Yeah, To me, th-
3: th- this was the most memorable sequence of the movie. Well, for sure, with the, uh, the
2: gasoline.
0: And then the you got the, the shot, yes. I mean, that's a very cool effect. I mean, it is just seeing oh, sure. the imagery of the, the flame and the shape of the crow. I mean, it's really well done. I mean, it jumps out at you quite nicely. I don't
3: know yeah. how
2: you poured gasoline that precisely to light it it's a superpower
3: i I don't know why he took the time (laughs) to actually do that
2: the whimsical thing at the end of it he's an artist that's true yeah like michael myers
3: i just always think of that that quote colin is drinking what jim is using to light the street on fire right
0: (laughs) (laughs) ever clear that pile of fun (laughs) so sarah goes back to the apartment and again the cat is still alive then this cuts to a second unnecessary guitar sequence where at least this time he does the Pete Townsend and smashes the guitar so you know that the guitar <laughs> portion portion of this is over. So like, that's fine. <laughs> the guitar stuff was not my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> and that's my, my take on it.
3: Maybe we skipped over this. I'm not sure. But maybe it is in Eric's apartment. I'm not sure if it just comes up at this point or if it comes up a little bit later as well. But there's this whole reason why he and Shelly were targeted Because she was organizing the tenants of her building to sign a petition to do something. Stop evictions, apparently. Stop evictions. Okay. T-Bird and his crew went in there to intimidate. Just like the monster truck in Tango and Cash. (laughs) Intimidate. (laughs) They just wanted to scare everyone off signing this petition. So am I correct in this?
0: I think so. I will note that the overall plan that Top Dollar has at the end, where he goes into a monologue about what his plan is, is also completely nonsensical i think top dollar
2: owned the building somehow none of it really makes sense like why are they doing no because if they wanted
3: if they if they wanted to evict everyone from the building i would assume that they had a purpose for that building but it's about a year later and this building is just abandoned and derelict so what was the point if concerns about the wiring in the building and is it up to code (laughs) (laughs) What'd what'd you say marcus
2: no, as I say, like how they didn't burn it for um, insurance or something. I didn't understand why they would burn so many buildings. The overall goal and plans for top dollar were bizarre.
3: That was my other question is, what's the whole point of Devil's Night? To set fires? For what purpose? Yeah. To burn the city down? Now we're talking like Joker territory, but why?
2: What does that get you? Just setting a bunch of fires? I don't know. Part of it has to be insurance fraud, right? That's the only thing that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's based on a real night. Does the insurance pay out for arson? Uh, you'd have to check with some of the individual policyholders on that
3: one. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. And it's clearly
2: arson. But the Devil's Night's actual event in Detroit, I did a little bit of research. Like it started in the 1910s, 1930s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like it started as like a mischief night, kids would goof around and stuff. But then, like in the 70s and 80s, it escalated. And there were it's like numerous fires. Actually, up until in 1984, there was over 800 fires set. Oh, this
3: sounds familiar.
2: So initially, it started like as they were just doing bonfires in the streets. And like, it could be like toilet papering and somewhat harmless fun. And then just kept escalating. In the 70s, it actually moved to arson the night before Halloween. So it's Devil's Night.
3: The whole Devil's Night thing. There's a scene in Meet Me in St. Louis, which takes place in 1904. Obviously, they're in St. Louis. There's a bonfire in the middle of the street. Yeah, all dressed up, and they're like throwing furniture onto the bonfire and all this stuff. Great scene. Probably very similar
2: to yeah. Devil's Night, right? He does quote that at the end too, but it made it sound like he and Top Dollar sound like he invented Devil's Night and right. saying like, "Oh, now it's a greeting card, and now we'll show you."
0: It's this huge wind-up to a monologue, right? And he says, you know, that's what he says. He's like, now there's Devil's Night greeting cards. And and people are like, well, should we set the fires? And he's like, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. And then he says, we're going to set the really biggest fucking fire you've ever seen or whatever it is. And, <laughs> I know. So you don't want set, to set small fires or you want to set a big fire. And what's your plan and how are you making money on this? Like, that part of it is just, none of it is yeah. really explained. What you need to think
2: of him as is generic bad guy. <laughs> That's who he is. Yeah. He's leader. He's, Greed is for amateurs. Disorder, chaos, anarchy. Now that's fun. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, i
2: mean I think they all wanted to do like counter to like a uh, Corny gecko speech or something. I don't know.
3: I think that uh Top Dollar had just stuck his face <laughs> in a big pile of cocaine about two minutes before. Yeah.
0: Well, that, that would explain oh, a few things. They do a kind of a flyover at the table. And I'm not sure what everybody's doing on the table, but there's lots of activity. I mean, everyone's like loading guns. You got like drugs, money's flying all over the place. I mean, I assume maybe they're just arming themselves up for, you know, what they think is Eric Draven's eventual appearance.
3: They're getting ready for Devil's Night. And by the way, I, I, I like that scene a lot because the, the sound is really good. Yeah. You guys slapping magazines into pistols and all, all that it. It sounds really good.
2: This is my favorite scene in the movie. Just the complete boardroom. That whole scene. The massacre. Yeah, well, just a whole shootout and stuff. It really felt like something out of The Matrix. Wachowski saw that and took a lot from that. I don't think it was staged as well. The Matrix does it much better. But there's a lot of debris in the air. There's a lot of bullets flying everywhere. He's doing acrobatic shots and stuff like that. Total chaos. And it has the music going over it, too. And that was a really cool scene. And then strobe light, too, and stuff. Yeah.
0: I do love his jump sit onto the table. I think that's really well executed. That's just a cool-looking move when he does it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, his two-handed gun work, I think, is pretty strong in this. When he's firing the two guns at the same time, definite feeling of some of the the early Hong Kong action stuff when you're watching him do it. This is where I mentioned the beret guy. Like he shows up. I think in the was the '80s and '90s they struggled to come up with some of the bad guy outfits, and so you see a lot of replicated berets and sunglasses, and you know, kind of that generic bad guy look. Some of the you know, costume design on the bad guys, just the henchmen, I guess, is. Eh, maybe a little questionable, but I do think the scene is great. And I think the lighting, the way that the lighting is flickering with him spinning in the air and all that kind of stuff. I just think it's yeah. really well executed.
2: Totally agree. The strobe light effect really works. Yeah. Because it looks, all of this is almost like a music video, right? And that's what Proyas does really well. Yeah. Highly stylized. Very cool looking. Music playing behind it.
0: And he even gets to pull out a sword at some point and, and go hacking people with a sword. So it's a good good uh, chunk of violence there. And apparently this is another scene that they had to cut for the R rating. Some of the kills he made, there was more blood spray in the air, which would probably pass sensors just fine these days. But back then, it
2: did not. Not a good day to be a bad guy.
0: But I have a question here. So he kills Skank, right? So, you know, he ends up sending Skank out the window. Based on the rules, why doesn't he just disappear at that point? <laughs> He's fulfilled his mission. Weren't you paying attention at the end of the movie?
2: But also the rules, we never got the rules anyways. <laughs> That's where the school Cowboy in that situation,
0: and that absence of exposition, is probably... So are you actually asking or he's saying like if
3: you don't know the rules then you as a viewer are probably wondering why
2: then i didn't wonder that because i didn't know any rules both because they they don't set it up right they don't know they don't
0: set it up he's completed what what he came back to do based on getting vengeance on those that that killed shelly and himself so i mean at this point i just assume that
3: there's unfinished business and that there is one more person responsible for yeah for
2: their deaths and that's top dollar because he sent them there to do it. Yeah. I do like at the end of the scene too, also, he comes out and the cops just open fire. Like not even like. Oh yeah. Not They're not that. like all. <laughs> like nonstop. Oh,
3: is, is it like a civilian who's fleeing from the carnage? <laughs> no, just start shooting at the guy. is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> and just like following him shooting. Worst in the...
0: cops in the world. This is where he does the, the run across the rooftops, which I think is actually the worst effects moment in the movie, I personally, during
3: that It's escape. a bad one. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad one. He's
2: being chased. Cops are shooting him. All bricks down in his car. So many cops. You'd think they'd be giving away donuts. <laughs> uh, another example of that really bad dialogue, man. I just. think, like, Oh, my God. When they let
0: Ernie Hudson just act natural and engage in regular conversation, his acting yeah. is great. The forced, weird dialogue, it just doesn't help him and say that. Yeah. One other moment that I think is kind of weird. So he's, you know, then walking down the street and a bunch of kids come running down the street in a Halloween costume and he turns around and he looks at them and his eyes are kind of crazy. That's a strange moment. Like, I'm not quite sure why you have that particular scene in the movie. I don't know. And then back at the graveyard. So I think he was doing the right thing, right? So he was going to go back and take a dirt nap. <laughs> but then Sarah gets kidnapped. By the way, when he was running towards the church, one of the places where they were supposed to have him run into the Skull Cowboy. And he was going to say, if you go in there, you're going to go in there as a human. You're not going to go in there as a superhuman person. But that information is not related to viewers. So instead, he just goes charging in and then they shoot the crow. And that is what's supposed to be limiting
2: his power.
3: Man, that would have made so much more sense because this whole storyline with
2: getting the crow itself. Yeah
3: biling oh the crow it she's gonna like try to take the crow and take its mystical power and i'm like
0: how are you gonna do that it's funny because when i i used to watch this movie back in the day and i would watch it right up until the t-bird death and then i would stop (laughs) like that's where i would just be like (laughs) i'm good i've seen you know as much as i want to see out of this movie because i think that the I think the end sequence and the end conflict that they go through in conjunction with the totally nonsensical ability for Biling's character to sit there and interpret like, oh, if we steal the crow, we're going to get the power and what? Like, where's this coming from? And then way too much coke. Well, and way too much coke. (laughs) There is a great moment earlier, by the way, where they send Grange to the graveyard and he's doing some investigation. The casket where this guy's body was, is like ripped out of the ground and, and what he does is he like, bends down and he picks up a piece of dirt and he rubs it in his fingers. He's like, oh, yeah, of course. This is another one of those resurrections. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, dude, what are because you doing?
3: He's like, Occam's razor. <laughs> this guy's been resurrected.
0: He's resurrected. <laughs> he, so he's not really paying attention to the casket that's bursting out of the ground. He's like grabbing a piece of dirt. He's like, hmm, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is resurrection dirt. <laughs> so, he should have smelled it. It would like <laughs> two
3: days fresh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: By the way, the other thing about the church attack, so Albright shows up and he shows up with a gun and a flare gun. So he shoots a flare (laughs) into the church, right? And I have a question. I have many questions, which is, why does he have a flare gun? Where did he get the flare gun? How does he know how to use a flare gun? (laughs) I have many flare gun questions. And I know it's just because they want to put the red color and make it look cool. I get that. But what's the actual reason why a police officer would fire a flare gun into a church in that situation? He's a cop. He's on
3: suspension. And he he has... Limited access to uh, actual weapons, but he's got a bunch of flares in his car. But not a flare gun. I mean, you need, a flare guns are different than flares, right? All right. Well, then, then I don't know. I
2: really don't know. Yeah. I thought it was kind of strange the the sequencing too. When he busts into the church, is a flare gets shot in, and then he's instantly coming in shooting. The sequencing of that was very very strange.
0: There's a good acting moment between the two of them again, where he says he's not. You know, he's no longer invulnerable. And so they're they're back and forth there and they make a plan to take the final run, trying to go get the bad guy. This leads to a sword fight, which, uh, again, I think the very end of this movie is not the strongest part of this movie.
3: I think this is the first time I've watched this movie where I noticed that during the church scene, and this this goes to him losing his invincibility. His makeup starts to wear off. He's becoming more Eric Draven than he is the Crow. The Crow. Ah, see, you called him the crow.
0: Well, I mean, come on, dude. Um,
3: and so I think that's very intentional that he's becoming more like his mortal self.
0: Giving top dollar the sword as his main weapon in that situation versus a gun. It's just, I don't know. It's it's a fun aesthetic. And yes, they can have a sword fight on the roof, but all of that seems pretty forced. It, seemed, it felt pretty forced the very first time I saw this movie. I remember I was thinking like, eh, this isn't my favorite part of the movie. I think they could have found a, a better or different way to close it. And maybe some of that was complicated by brandon lee's death i'm not sure
3: so you're saying that you didn't like the the duel on the
2: roof of the uh church it's not my favorite part of the movie no yeah it's also shot very poorly Panning shots from below and just very weird like you see more yeah. church than fight the whole thing's not great
3: all i could think of during that scene was oh shit it's no
0: longer the crow it's now highlander uh, yeah a little bit of a highlander vibe there i mean you know he grabs the was it the what do you call those things is, is it a it steeple like, well, it a spire spire it's thank a spire. you spire Aspire. yeah look here's the church here's the whatever it is okay <laughs> they have the fight and then he gives him the 30 hours of pain and throws him off and then he gets impaled i do like the fact that when he gets impaled the blood that's or the, the water that's coming out of the fountain is pure blood <laughs> so, it is good i liked that that's a nice touch it's just a cool little visual i mean it seems a little bit impractical in terms of the amount of blood it would take to to do that but whatever it's, it's still fun looking and then he goes back and Shelly is, I guess, a literal angel at that point. But if he broke the rules and he helped humans, doesn't that mean that he's now forced to be in limbo for the rest of his life?
2: I have questions. And he's forced to do the limbo for the rest of his life. <laughs>
0: that would be a weird torture, I guess. Or you get really good
2: at the limbo. It's limbo time.
3: What did you think of the 30 hours of pain?
2: I could do more. <laughs>
0: As a device to kill the villain, Right. I think conceptually it's okay, but I think that you needed the woman who died in the arcade and some way to tie it together for it to make sense. Because otherwise... Yeah, I was
2: confused by it.
0: Yeah, it comes out of left field. You know, he can will morphine to come out of... Darla. Darla's body, thank you. Then he has the 30 hours of pain, which again, they did have a mechanic or they, they set up in the script originally based on his encounter with the woman in the arcade to set that up, but they do not follow through on it.
3: I didn't really understand how he could do the whole 30 hours of pain because he touched Albrecht, who witnessed her 30 hours of pain, but he didn't feel the 30 hours of pain. So how is it that he's able to take that 30 hours of pain feeling and then transfer it
2: on? I wouldn't go too deep on that one.
3: If it was the woman in the beginning and it was her pain, he actually touched her so he could... He could actually experience her pain and then
0: maybe like transfer that on. But
3: uh, don't ask too many questions about this movie.
0: He could have had a vision of what Albrecht was doing. And it's like, well, of the 30 hours, he spent 12 hours in the janitor's closet furiously masturbating when he's at the hospital.
3: And and suddenly it's become um, a brainstorm. And, <laughs> and Top Dollar dies from having like multiple orgasms over and over and over and over and over again.
0: All right. Well, and that brings us to the end. So, anything else, any key scenes or anything else you guys want to point out? No. I think we got them. All right. Let me ask you a
2: question. What did you guys learn from this film? I learned don't rape and kill people, it's not nice. And so, when they come back from the dead and kill you, that's pretty <laughs> solid, Colin. <laughs>
3: All right, what did I learn from this movie? I didn't really like this movie in 94 and I still don't like it now.
0: What I learned from this movie is that this movie is unexpectedly associated to a very specific and fun period of my life. So it uh, triggers nostalgia, an unexpected wave of nostalgia that for the first few minutes was nearly overwhelming. And then I <laughs> kind of wrote it out. Maybe the other thing I learned is that I guess I understand why I probably did not rewatch this movie is because I enjoyed this movie in the time and was very taken with this movie, taken enough to apparently have a poster on my wall for a year and a half, even though I did I did not buy said poster. But I think all of that actually you know, translates to the idea that sometimes like, you can experience a movie and even a movie that makes an impression on you, but it's going to be better in the time that you enjoyed it. So maybe sometimes you have to make a call as to whether or not you should go back and watch something. I'm still a big fan of this movie, so I like it a lot and i will end up giving it a good grade but here's a question so i bet we all relatively have a relatively positive view of the movie dreamscape because we thought oh yeah i liked that movie as a kid like if we were to watch that movie right now i wonder what we'd think of dreamscape
3: Uh, oh no i wouldn't watch it now because i know i wouldn't like it right i I know it would be like really terrible
2: i barely remember it
3: but i'd watch it again maybe just because of michael patrick kelly
2: (laughs) (laughs) david patrick kelly
3: david patrick kelly
2: (laughs) i thought you doing that as a joke
0: or doing it on purpose i don't even know anymore <laughs> both, both. okay all right uh well, I just kind of gave my closing thoughts, so i'll just uh finish it out, which is this was a very impactful movie to me. I saw it on my birthday, so I have all this nostalgia tied into it, and went through all that in the beginning i'm going to give this movie an a minus because wow. it's it's still sig- <laughs> big surprise yeah it's still significant <laughs> enough to me and i I do like it, and I think that it's I think the style i I really do appreciate the style and then more than anything else. I just think that the conditions that they made this film, what they were dealing with and what the end result is, I actually think is incredibly impressive filmmaking. That alone for me kind of bumps it up a grade is kind of the way I think about it. Uh, So I'm a fan. I probably will not be rewatching this movie anytime soon, honestly. That being said, yes, it holds a, a nice nostalgic place in my heart and I will forever enjoy this film.
3: Would you recommend
0: it? That's a good question, actually. No, that, I mean, that's that's you actually, that's a that's a fair question. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, and maybe I'll have Mia watch this and see what she thinks in terms of what today's <laughs> audience is. I don't know that it would hold up for somebody who's been raised on say like the Marvel Universe movies or whatever to go back and look at it. I mean, and, and I guess the other part is I'm wondering if some of the more sort of like emo goth elements would translate as well today. I'm not sure. So that's a good question. I don't know. I can't say that I... Would necessarily, but I certainly, I mean, I guess I would recommend it, but I would caveat a little bit and say, here's the things you need to know about this movie. It holds up like the Warriors
2: holds up. (laughs) It looks like a dated movie. One more question. Yeah.
3: If your now self could go back in time and meet your 1994 self, would you tell your 1994 self to pick a better movie to watch?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, because my 1994 self was quite taken with this movie and enjoyed it. All right. I would stay
2: the course. Marcus. I think in 94, it was a pretty good movie just doesn't hold up as much but yeah my overall thoughts i think it's a it's very highly stylistic it's got some cool visuals some good scenes the music is awesome it's really good for that there's a couple of good action scenes with the boardroom is really nice i think that's a great kind of precursor to the matrix good action sequence but overall the movie suffers from terrible characters they're just very very flat there's very bad dialogue the overall story is weak a lot might have to do with Brandon Lee's death, but I think if he lived, I don't think the movie would, would have been that much better anyways. The source material and what might have worked for a comic book just does not work for the movie, the dialogue and the characters. They're comic book villains. It kind of works in a comic book, but it needs to be, uh, they need to be fleshed out a little bit more for a movie. So,
0: yeah, the, the crazy thing is, I think that maybe if he had lived, maybe the movie would have been worse, honestly, if they had finished off the Skull Cowboy stuff, because I think that would have taken it in
2: an entirely different direction. It's hard to say the movie suffered because of that. Yeah, like it definitely like was more difficult for them to make and finish and get all that done. So it's impressive that they they were able to complete it. And I'm glad they did, but overall, it doesn't hold up. I think in '94 it was a good movie. I think now it it just really doesn't hold up. So I would give it. I wasn't give it a C plus, but uh, I think I'll give it a B minus just because I think if I rewatch it, thinking of it as a uh, '80s action movie and just kind of dumb fun, I think I'd enjoy it even more. Don't expect much out of it, and it's not terrible. Would you recommend it? I would. I w- that's what I would say. I would say like if you want, like, don't expect it's a great movie. I would think of it as something like Commando, or think of it as something like The Warriors, or movies along those lines. Just any any movie that has David Patrick Kelly in it is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I just keyed so, on that. Like 48 hours. 48 hours. No, but I mean, and... no, because I was kidding no, I'm, just, no, I'm about just kidding. <laughs> Dystopian vibe. Well Commando for the like just the bad action dialogue right. and characters. And then Warriors for that dystopian kind of era doesn't hold up compared to like The Matrix or something along those lines. I'll have to re see Blade. I haven't seen Blade in a long time. I'm not sure how well that would. Like Blade's probably like, a pretty good movie. I think it yeah. would. That'd be an interesting. And I don't think I'm not it's sure. it's, it and that's only what, two or three years later? Yeah, I want to say ninety seven, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's something like that. But it's not as good quality as that. So uh, B minus. Call on.
3: I think Marcus and I are pretty well aligned. I mean, I think it's a fairly formulaic film. It's got some nice one-off shots that make it really look more like a a music video. I think it is elevated because of its dark gothic style and its set design. And I do think that Brandon Lee's Crow makes an interesting figure with that makeup. He's he's certainly a bright spot in the movie. I really think it only had the surprise success that it did due to the notoriety of Brandon Lee's death Otherwise, I think it just would have been, uh, you know, a somewhat seen or little seen cult film, and it wouldn't have had as much success as it has had. Because ultimately, I just think it's very much overrated, and I will give it a C plus.
0: Let me ask you this: If you had to rewatch one movie right now, would you rather rewatch The Crow or Edward Scissorhands?
3: <laughs> I will watch. If I could watch them, I'll watch them both again. If you could just switch the lead character no, I'm, I, between them. I'm asking you. No, no it's like
0: you need to you need to rewatch one movie. You're gonna watch The Crow or Edward Scissorhands? Edward Scissorhands. Really? Okay. Yeah. With yeah, The Crow soundtrack's better.
3: Oh, by the way, I'm not rewatching either one of those movies <laughs> right now. They're way too
0: fresh. It wasn't, it wasn't a direct request. It was more of a conceptual question. <laughs> I get it. Colin, get off this goddamn pod and go watch Edward Scissorhands right now and report back. <laughs> oh fuck. All right. Well, I think that pretty much uh, wraps for The Crow. Uh, we are at the point where the next person in the progression gets to make a pick, and that would be Marcus. Marcus, what that, movie are we
2: watching next? It is me. I thought of several movies, but I think we will stay in Detroit and go with the Academy Award-winning movie, 20-year anniversary. We just saw him at the Super Bowl, m Eight Mile.
1: Oh, really? <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow! Not what I was expecting.
0: It's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting movie. It's a good movie. Oh yeah, no, I think it's a good. You movie like actually.
3: it, Colin? I saw it once. I thought it was pretty good. Who directed it? I I totally Curtis forgot. Hansen. Curtis Hanson. Oh, I love Curtis Hanson.
2: Hey, the Ellie Confidential. You even picked one of his movies. Come on. All right.
3: All right. Well, I guess we're on to Eight Mile.
2: Eight I thought mile. Wonder
3: Boys was better, but
2: you know, whatever. You can pick that.
3: I'm not picking that. <laughs> You can't make
0: me <laughs> Alright so it uh, sounds like we'll be back uh, For 8 Mile Hope you enjoyed our conversation about The Crow We weren't 100% aligned Hope you enjoyed the historical perspective Of taking a trip through my mind In Nostalgiaville <laughs> Which is really what got triggered when I watched this movie Which was kind of a cool experience actually It was, very, it was fascinating uh, But again probably not a movie that I will be running back to Anytime soon And uh, be unlikely to replicate what I experienced When watching it last night
3: Oh, I have one one more question before you close. Yes. How did this podcast go two and a half hours? Um, no
0: because you're asking questions. <laughs> 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 All right. And with that, this is a real DMC podcast. Signing off. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Oh, bye, everybody. Oh. I I can't do it right now
3: because Emily's probably it's sleeping. All right. Should we talk cast? Cast. So obviously, Brandon Lee. Who's ready?
2: All right. right. Who's ready to join me on the casting couch?
3: It's Smooth Hits 105. Get on the casting couch. Yeah. Coming at you. (laughs) Okay.
1: And now, get on your feet, it's time for casting!
3: I love how you already skipped over pod business.
0: That was supposed to be the opportunity for you to... Uh... <laughs> chime in with some unfinished business but you didn't say anything okay i i didn't
3: realize you wanted me to like just jump in there with it but it's fine we don't actually have to use that
0: all right so do how about this i'll I'll ask it as a question do we have any unfinished business for this podcast anybody like to follow up on any of our previous pods <laughs> no great so pick a lane motherfucker <laughs>
2: Well, you know, he's going to that
3: too. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> We're all a little bit silly tonight.